This is absolutely not for public consumption. Totally off the record. Anyway, Brad, great to see you. You too, George. <laughs> it's been a long time. It has, man. And when we were... Last time we were in a meeting like this, it was like podcasts were these like new things. Remember we were going to do with uh, with XM radio or something like that? Right. Yeah. Because I had a studio in DC. Yeah. It seemed, seemed like a great idea. And I think, wasn't it like one of the MTV VJs? Didn't he invent that? Like Adam something or other? Blanking yeah. On his name. Yeah. Yeah. He, and when he was there. Yeah. It's weird. Like podcasts started to happen and then they, I don't know. I, I think everybody forgot about him. At least I did. Right. And all of a sudden, I think the pandemic, we're all like, I can record a podcast. Yeah, yeah I know. Seriously. <laughs> so there you go. No studio, no nothing, just at home. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you today? Are you in Florida or LA? I'm in LA. I'm in Florida. Right. It seems to be where everything's at right now. Like, I mean, car wise. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's so uncar friendly in so many ways, this, this area, but. <laughs> Yeah. everything's here from business to the cost of everything to the to regulations it's really not a car friendly environment at all but man the roads are amazing you know the weather's good and uh people just absolutely are insane for cars here and everybody's there i mean yeah. whether it's like peterson or whether it's singer or whether it's oh know, yeah all the journalists yeah. or whatever yep and it's for my you know my um my demographic, my suppliers, my partners, you know, stuff like that. It's like Scotto's here, Hoonigan, all these guys. Well, so I, I see nowadays you are, you're, I'm seeing more RML uh, yeah. on Facebook or in, or in Instagram. And I'm guessing that's you. Yes. Uh, it's just me at this point. It's something is it? that, yeah. And it's, you know, it stands for retro modern line and it's the first wheel we made at 1552. And it's, uh, it's basically, you know, it's the, the cause and the, and the effect of so many things coming together that, you know, you still see right now. That's what 1552 as a company, which, um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm still, you know, I still have a, an interest in 1552, but I'm not there, you know, every day anymore. We, uh, so, Matt and I sold our you know, majority interest back in 2018, and uh, we're now kind of both doing different things. Uh, I've got, uh, I've got a new thing. I'm here in Southern California in, in the, planning phase of something really cool and new that I wish I could tell you about because it's so up your alley it's not even funny um and there's some you know pretty big names in the industry that I'm you know talking to and working with that we're trying to get this going but uh that's for probably early 2023 um but uh it's something that um you know, for me, I've always enjoyed, you know, building cars, you know, the, the selling parts and doing that and selling wheels is cool and all, but I've always liked building cars for, you know, for me, for customers, whatever. So it'll be along those lines. But uh, while I'm doing that, um, so many people on a regular basis, we, the RML first wheel we ever made was the Snowflake. It was the GTI, Rabbit GTI we know here in the U.S. as uh, the 14 by 6 came on the 83 Rabbit GTI also came on the quantum and stuff like that but it's known for that and uh i had always that that's my favorite wheel of all time my favorite OE wheel and uh i wanted to make it in a bigger size to fit you know like g60 carado brakes yeah, a little bit wider and all that and so it just was something that's like you know i would talk to certain people 
you know, vendors and things like that. And back in the day in the eighties and nineties saying, you know, why don't you guys do this? This, this would be cool. It would sell. And, uh, you know, nobody was interested in that niche. And, uh, I later learned why it's, you know, it's not a volume proposition by any stretch, but, um, so, so what's really quick, what's volume in, if somebody's make it has a design wheel design idea wants to do what you did back then, maybe the industry might be different than it was back then volume wise, but like, what's, when you say, making something like that like what's volume for that makes sense to get manufacturer if they're gonna what's called open a mold for you which you pay for but it, it's taking you know place in their production queue so it's you know it's significant to them um right. it, at least ten thousand wheels you know wow. for, for an individual mold you know and every size and width and everything is a different mold. basically is a different mold except for flow form and we can get into that in some other time but you can vary widths when you do flow form with a single mold, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, it's not hard and fast. Typically the minimum, you know, is, is a few thousand, but if you only do a few thousand, you know, they're going to retire. They're going to say, you know, we need to retire that. And that's why you see that happen a lot of time. And that's just, you know, that's the natural of order things. You can't, as a wheel company, you're not going to hit a home run on every, on every style and every mold, you know, some right. you just keep going. Like for us, you know, we, it's so, you know, it's so temporary, the shelf life, but we came up with some wheels like, you know, like the tarmac, which was, you know, it was a, such an old school wheel. It was, it was a, you know, our version of an old, you know, speed line, OZ, you know, chrono kind of thing, but just completely flat. We wanted total flat face. You know, everybody was doing concave this and that big lip. And we just wanted to do the simplest, almost two dimensional design. And those still sell really well, still keep reordering. Mm -hmm. them. And, you know, you don't really see that longevity outside of, you know, BBS and some of those wheels. So we, you know, we were really fortunate for that, but, uh, you know, not every design is going to do that. So um, what I'm working in is like super niche because it's, you know, it's a retro modern design based on an OE wheel for a very focused group of enthusiasts. I mean, fortunately it's a, that the snowflake is a four by 100, you know, bolt pattern and, you know, Toyota Scions have that. And, you know, I mean, uh, mini Coopers and stuff. So we did get, you know, some crossover like that just cause it's a cool right. wheel, but mostly it's a, you know, it's a VW. Yeah. So, so when I, you know, was talking to, uh, you know, Jason Sellers, who's our engineer and who's now the president of 1552, um, you know, I just, they get annoyed that, because we haven't made that wheel for, gosh, I don't know, it's probably been, I don't know, maybe almost 10, no, not 10 years, but uh, probably about eight years. And we only made so many of them. And used ones are selling for like three thousand yeah, dollars a set. It's ridiculous. Those things so, have a total value in the used market. It's it's crazy to watch. Yeah, and I'm about to destroy that. I know I'm. <laughs> gonna that, but whatever. I made the original. I mean, that was my. Yeah, thing. No. that's right. Matt Crook, you know, who's my partner in 1552, former partner. He um, you know, he's working at a wheel company in California. I was back in Florida doing 1552, and I'm like, dude, I want to make these wheels. Can you can you help? He's like, God, that's nobody's going to want to do that for you, but let me talk to my boss. And, you know, the guy, he said, yeah, he'll do it. You know, he's going to make some money off me, but I didn't care. I just want to get them made. And yeah. uh, they, they did really well. And I want to make them again. You know, I want, I want that. That's the kind of thing where it's like, I feel like it's kind of like my, my legacy. That's what started us doing the wheels and stuff. So it's like, and there's still some demand. I don't know how much we'll find out. I'm going to do a container and see where it goes. Um, 
you know, but RML was always supposed to be something more than just a snowflake. We had a we had a 16 inch teardrop that we actually had done uh, a mold made in a sample that was that. right before we sold the company. And after we sold the company, it was it got you know squashed. Um, and you know there's you know there's BMW you know E30 bottle cap. I mean there's a lot a lot of things you can do with the RML concept. So we'll see where it goes. Maybe I'll be doing wheels again for a lot longer than I ever thought. Well, I, I saw you, uh, I can't imagine it's, to, given the quantities you just gave me, I can't imagine it makes sense. I would love to see you do it if you did, but I saw, I think I saw you teasing, remember the, uh, what would they be called, snowflakes too, the Audi wheel? The, I've the seen kind of waffle, 4, iron, waffle irons or, but yeah, but I've, you know, always called them the snowflake, I, I thought, but I don't, I don't know what the, you know, what the, the, the scene guys call it. But yeah, I'll be honest. It is to me. It's Audi. Yeah, the Audi four thousand. It was on the you know the coupe and the five plus five and all yeah. that. And I freaking love that. Yeah, yeah. That's I did tease that because I want to see what what guys think. And I had a I had a bunch of people say that will never sell. But according to the comments, like I know it's one thing to make a comment in Instagram, yeah, right. take money, and then another to you know actually give me a thousand dollars or whatever it costs. You know, there's a big gap there, but. Uh, you know, I want to get to a point and, you know, where I can do that if, if I have to, uh, you know, pay more for molds or something like that. So I can do lower volume. I think it, you know, there's a market for it. I, you know, my niche within a niche, I think is, is relevant. And I'd like to do that, you know, because otherwise you got to go to forged, you got to go to three piece, you got to do, you know, the guys that are doing the, you know, they're cutting out the centers of, you know, the OE yeah, wheels, which... put them in BBS barrels. I, I won't, I, that, that's cool as hell for a show car. But when you take a, you know, a 30-year-old, you know, gravity cast wheel that was engineered as a whole with a rim on it, you know, and you cut it out and then you make it act as a center in a forged aluminum, you know, that, that's used and, you know, hasn't printed, you know, X-rayed or either. That, it's a little sketchy, but. Um, that, I that's what I was going to ask. I've seen them at shows and on shows sitting there, I've seen like what, whatever the, what's the wheel that um, somebody's doing it now as a replica, the G60 wheel, but like, Oh yeah. The Sebring. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing people with the Sebring on like rally golf, like the plus size riveted. And I was like, ah, it looks cool, but like yeah. take that out on a track. I'm not really sure how it's going to hold up. No. And but you and I both know those cars aren't going on any tracks. So it's probably, it's probably okay. Fair um, point. It, it's just uh I don't know. I had one guy, you know, basically who's, who's making them um, throw me under the bus about my, you know, old crappy snowflakes made in Asia and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, they're, these are modern. I mean, they're engineered. They're, they're tooth, um, you know, not tooth approved, but we do the certification. We, we, we engineer all our wheels to tooth specs. So it's like, these aren't, you know, crappy. They're better than 30 year old OE wheels. That's for sure. So I don't yeah. know. It's just, yeah, whatever. All right. I've got something to show you. A Photoshop that I did is we're talking about snowflakes. Oh, one of George's uh, stuff. I miss George's Photoshop. People need to understand back in our Vortex Media days. And uh, you, uh, you were you were funny. You were funny with those. It's a bad habit. It's certainly a bad habit. But um, but so this one might be of interest to you commercially. So I'm just that's where I'm going with this. So a couple, like a year or two ago, this got it's it's a Volkswagen Photoshop. So apologies to the people who are on this as an Audi podcast. But um. So the, I got your, there was 
I forget why we were talking about snowflakes, but I was talking to Sean Maynard at Volkswagen about it. And uh, largely a concept based on a model that, we, well, maybe pre-Jamie or we wouldn't really think of as like an enthusiast car. But uh, with that said, quantum synchro wagon look on an Atlas. That's badass, man. I have people with Touregs and Tiguan and ask me, am I going to make 20s? Because I did 18. Yeah. And that I was shocked at how well the 18s sold. We only made yeah. them one run. That's really cool. <laughs> I love it. it. It's funny how much that car, the, the Volkswagen Atlas, takes to uh, like the, the quantum synchro wagon kind of to like, I just throwing like the, the black, you know, optics on it and the snowflakes was like, I totally get it. I see the line between that and the, the quantum. Dude, send, email me that. Uh, I will definitely do it. There's somebody that I wish I could tell you what was going on, that this is actually very coincidental, um, that needs to see this. They're going to love it. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, all right. So we, we jumped kind of right into this. Let me, let me backtrack. So you and I go way back. I think the first time I met you very old was like your old Springfield store. Yes. BW sport. 65 back Lake road. Yes. (laughs) You're right. A little bit of history. The second story. I remember the first, I had a jet of ER six and the first time terrible suspension, terrible tires on those cars, but it was one of the German ones. Yes. And, um, it, and so I, uh, 94 and I, I rolled down there cause I, I forget where I found you guys online and, and, uh, you were on like a second floor and you did all your installations across the street at, at, uh, at the dealer, I think. And w. Springfield. Yeah. We had a tech there who was, and it was all so not legit. I mean, cause <laughs> well, second, it all starts that way. Right. I know, the second, first of all, second floor was zoned only for, uh, I mean, it was all insurance offices up there. You can't, was do it? Any, you can't do any retail up there not that we sold much more than you know vw sports yeah. and stuff at the time but it was uh yeah it was so not okay but then we we did that for like a year and then right. we moved into our place in uh on in alexandra and eisenhower avenue and that was right. that was cool they the, the the landlord you know the group didn't like us at all because we were doing engine swaps and stuff in the back and it was you know it was not that kind of facility but um yeah, we had a really cool showroom and you know, it was very, you know, it's like, cause we've been to Kempton to see Opt and, you know, all the, the big tuner, you know, Udinger and Project Swo and all that. And we, we basically, you know, said, all right, we're going to build a German style showroom here. And it didn't make any sense financially, but it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, you certainly achieved it. It was cool. And, and uh, the amount of gatherings you would have there, like just fill up a lot with stuff. Yeah. The, the that, following you're building. That turned into a problem. We had first of all, we were right oh right in front of the uh, <clears throat> what is it, Eisenhower Bridge there that you know the only thing that connects Virginia and Maryland right there, right, you know, post road empties right out. So <clears throat> during you know from three o'clock till like whenever, people decide instead of sitting in traffic, they wanted to just hang out at us because we had you know we had BTC <laughs> and ST you know SDW and you know touring card videos playing and big library with every magazine from around the world in there it was pretty pretty dope and uh but people were hanging out so all my sales guys were hanging out too and the phone was ringing off the hook and then you realize even back then it's like you know we make way more more money on a sales call you know on a on a online call or you know order over the phone oh, and, yeah. and it, it takes way less time than somebody in the store and i'm like this is not working <laughs> but it was i do fun. remember one of your open houses, though, was one of the things that kind of opened my eyes. And like, I always dug Audi, but like, 
but it when i remember i rolled down there it was the time i still had this 94 vr6 jetta at that time you guys had already done brakes and suspension and and wheels or wheels and tires for me i think i had oe wheels but otherwise and 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 uh but then i got a ride at one of your open houses adrian jones who was your partner at the time had a one of the first b5a418ts and yes. it was did it have an op tune on it maybe but i maybe um no it was uh who was who was the one in virginia um jack nope um it, it it it'll come to me this is uh just brain fart but yeah they're they're, they're <laughs> We're also them really well and they they had a 1.8 t you know it was you know simple it was obd1 throttle cable and all that but yeah it it it, it woke that up yeah I, well i was amazed i was there were four we went out quickly onto the beltway yeah. and there were four of us in the car i think i was in one of the back seats and and he got on it and i was like this thing is ridiculous and it's a 1.8 like my yeah. all of my experiences previously in a four-cylinder volkswagen have been like oh yeah you know, or, like at, or cool cars, but not fast. Yeah, yeah. even a yeah. five-cylinder normally aspirated Audi was not quick. Like right, that. this thing in, and it had instant torque. Yeah, yeah. But I just drove one eight. Auto authority. That's authority. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They they were really good. We did a lot of cool stuff with them. They helped us with the. Uh, um, we were working with uh, Nick Saran with his first Z engineering kits and stuff that he brought over to the UK, and he had his software and but we were doing cams and stuff and uh, they worked with us on that. It was really cool. I, I miss that kind of hands-on stuff that we did. Right. You know, e ran into soldered in EPROMs or, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was super high tech back then. Well, it was funny too. You look at that, the way that market went and it was um, I think the people who really owned it there for a while in the beginning were not the traditionals. Like you had uh, APR and GIAC really, who were like, who got big really fast because they understood the value of you know the web platforms that were out there they're everywhere on audi world and vortex and whatever yeah and uh the ones like newspeed who didn't jump into that were like yeah. you know it's amazing how it, well a lot of the market was shifting then we we saw the vortex too where like there was so much attention at european car and the print publications and like if you didn't make the shift you know you were kind of left out in the cold yeah no that's actually true that's a good point yeah yeah but anyway so you were VW Sport, and then at some point in Alexandria, you changed to 1552? Yeah, and that goes back to the origin of, of VW Sport, which uh, started with uh, Joe Hoppen, Joseph Hoppen. Um, Joe is, I'm sure your audience is well aware, is the ex-director you know, uh, of motorsports for VW, Porsche, and Audi um, North America. He was, uh, he was the guy who got um, Porsche into Can-Am, you know, he handled the super V's and everything. He was, he was legendary. Well, just as luck would have it, I was living in Sarasota, Florida, and he had retired there. And I was a tennis pro, I was a teaching pro, and I was using the, uh, the, the beach courts at Siesta Key um, for lessons. And I remember coming off, and I had, uh, I forget which car, it may have been the Cabrio that I had, or I think it was, I think it was a Mulberry VR6 GTI. It's like one of the first ones in the US, 95. Uh, anyway, I'm walking to my car in the beach parking lot with my tennis bag and ball hopper and stuff. And just slowly cruising by is this old dude in a dusty mauve four-door Mark III Golf VR6. Now, those don't exist here. You know, we right. never got that color. We never got a four-door Golf ZR6. 
it was never called a Golf VR6 here. It was always a GTI VR6. So on my radar, and I had been to, I'd gone to Frankfurt in 92 for the release of the Mark III Golf there. And really? Yeah, and the VR6 was center stage, and that was so revolutionary, putting a narrow angle, you know, high horsepower in a, in a little car like that. But that color was it for me, Dusty Mauve, man, that was it. And that's why I bought Mulberry, because it was the closest we could get to that in North America. So he drives by, and then he, like, does a double take, and he sees my car, and I have, um, I think I have an opt muffler on it already, and couple other op parts i think i had the round headlights and stuff so he pulls across and he gets out of his car to come over and he's just shaking my hand hello i'm joseph hopton <laughs> and it's like i knew who he was but it, you? you know i was still leaking out over the car and he's like this is wonderful what you're doing do you you know the opt do you know about the opt and, and i'm like yeah I, you know and at the time we had one importer here uh that did i'm not going to mention him <laughs> it's uh Anyway, he brought it in and it was, you know, I bought from him begrudgingly because it, it, he was the only option in town. But um, anyway, so, you know, Joe was talking about it. He's like, yes, you know, Johan is a very good friend of mine. You know, I know I, I'm from Kempton, you know, all this stuff. He's like, oh, was he? Yeah, I sell, you know, I sell up products here. But, you know, for Audi, you know, what do you, you know, what do you do? You do, do you sell them? And I'm like, no, no. I mean, I, I had a small customer group, Adrian and I, because we bought so much stuff, we would get discounts and things. And New Speed, you know, I, Aaron, Aaron Newman was, you know, a friend of mine and, you know, would help me out and stuff like that. We, you know, he'd help me build every Volkswagen I've ever had, hmm. um, you know, New Speed. So, um, you know, I just said, yeah, we, you know, I have some customers and stuff. And it's like, oh, well, I would love to talk to you. And he invited me to, to his shop in sarasota so i did one day and went down there and he's like i would like you he goes i people know that i sell up products and i'm audi sport and uh but i'm retired i don't want to do any volkswagen stuff you know he's like uh if you want to come along and, and, and help me and do you know you can use my opt account and you know all the you know all the companies i deal with and you can sell to volkswagen and you will be vw sport usa and we had the blessing of volkswagen of america at the time because oh, wow. he had it throughout it was unofficial it wasn't a formal licensing deal but he's yeah, like but... you can do it so anyway we did that for a while and it was it was great um being in sarasota florida as a vw you know store wasn't really you know the best way to do it adrian was living in virginia so we moved it up there and then uh a year later joe you know fully retired he stopped doing any you know car stuff he just did mtm you know, but his son mostly ran that, but he stopped doing opt and all that. So um, he's like, you know, I've got something to tell you, Brad. <laughs> you know, you can continue with VW Sport, but, you know, Volkswagen wants to work out a licensing deal with mm. So I entertained it, you know, just like a single phone call. They told me what they wanted and <laughs> kind of laughed and got all my guys together. I said, well, we, we're going to have to change your name. <laughs> so <laughs> we're all sitting in my office coming up and, and everything was so Euro this auto bond that and it was just like i just didn't want to do it. it's like you know we're established let's come up with something a little different that's like something that people you know in the know understand but you know it kind of they're going to ask most people are going to ask what does that mean and that's where we came up 1552 1552 because we were um uh, franz diebold who was a tech for me at the time um was sitting in a chair and he had the the 1552 vag tool on his lap 
And that was actually really cool because before that you had the 1551, which was this giant thing on a cart, you know, that you had. Right. These are, people don't know, these are diagnostic tools, they're scan tools yeah. that the dealerships use. And the big one was, it was on a cart and you wheeled it from car to car. The 1552 was a portable and it, you could, you know, it had minimal like data logging potential, you know, things like that, but you could drive, you could plug it in and drive, um, you know, and monitor the car certain things that you couldn't do so it was pretty pretty epic and we were one of the few you know aftermarket tuners that had our own we actually had a couple and um so franz like yeah let's just call it 5052 and everybody's like yep that works that, that works and so it was 1552 design then it just became 1552 all right i'm gonna divert here this can be some serious nerd knowledge that probably nobody cares about but me and you but this, but this is a conversation I've always wanted to have with you anyway. So okay. do you remember like the 11th hour before we were about to launch Fortitude at Vortex? You were working with us at the time, <laughs> yes. right? Yes, and, I, was, and, I was your editorial director for across all the sites at the time. Yes. So, so you shared your uh, disagreement with me that Fortitude was the right name. And it's all coming together now because like, Part of it was, and I think we had this conversation later, we're like, yeah, it was a cool name, but you were going to have to establish it literally everywhere because it doesn't have an association with the brand in any way, right? Like all the right. competitors, for whatever reason, you know, Quattroworld, Audi World, Audi Zine, right. all used the name. And, and that was one of the reasons, one of the reasons was, you know, we, with Vortex, we always kind of danced on that line too of like, do we need a licensing deal? Don't we? And with Fortitude, it was like, we're clear, right? Right. But you're right. It was always an uphill slog to get name recognition because nobody really got it unless they understood the kind of weird inside thinking that it was actually a license plate. There's a guy in DC named Phil Ackley. I don't know if he was a customer of yours back then, but like he's a member of the club and he had, right. I saw, I saw his car parked at the 1999 uh, uh, Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix and it said 4TTUDE or UD yeah. or something like that on it. It's like, that's really clever. And I, I grabbed the URL. He got the plate because he turned 40. Um, he didn't get the plate because it, it was an Audi thing. <laughs> it's like completely random. Well, you didn't share that with me back then. That would uh, that would have helped me uh, talk you out of it a little more. But well, that name was the backup plan for Audi World because Audi was. We were kind of remember. Were you with us when we were kind of quasi associated with? Remember, like what was no, it? No, this was just after that. I was with B, -ver B verticals. Remember yeah. B verticals? Oh yeah. And, yeah, so Audi World was part of that, and we were for a moment in time in that orbit, and then we left because we weren't right. really happy with the way it was going. But like Audi World remained, and and but we knew from that brief period that like Audi wasn't really cool with that use of that name, and and right. and so yeah, I mean Audi Club has a licensing deal, right? Like that's how we we get recognized. But uh, anyway, I, I I never realized we had I never did the math on fifteen fifty two and was like, man, he had that uphill slog too. Like it's I. Now that I get why you, your comment was particularly important to you, because yeah. he's lived it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it worked, it worked well for us, you know, obviously. And, and we didn't, we always wanted to leave our options open. I mean, selling parts and everything is, is, you know, awesome. Um, but we had always wanted to make our own stuff. We always wanted to potentially sell like completed cars or something. You know, there was always something bigger that we, you know, aspired to as, you know, on the creative side of things, almost like, you know, from a design perspective. So we didn't want right. to, and, and, you know, I mean, Volkswagen was where we were at, but when we were VW Sport, oh, it was hard. You know, we had to send Audi customers to Joe. Joe didn't, you know, deal in the things that a lot of them wanted. 
Um, so, you know, it was hard. And, you know, Adrian didn't care. He's like, I'm buying, a, I'm buying an Audi. I'm buying an A4 when the P5 when they come out. I know we're VW Sport, you know, and he didn't put an Audi Sport sticker. He put a VW Sport sticker. So it's like, yeah, we do Audi. And Joe, you know, at that point, he didn't really care. But yeah. once we became 1552, it was it was vague enough for all that, that we could have been anything. I mean, we could, we could sell women's shoes. You know? could, yeah, yeah, right. So that's like plan It's an C. open brand. Yeah. I remember the decals you guys had on the corner of the... the oh, the hood right? flag. The, yeah. That was such a thing. Like, it, yeah. you go to Waterfest and, like, everybody had those on. Yep. Um, then, yeah, and we, honestly... We made... We sold more of those than anything else as far as parts. A SKU mm -hmm. number, that, that was, like, our best-selling thing. And the windshield banners. That's funny. I remember the 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 the, the cars that when you're talking about building whole cars, like I'm thinking about the the particularly the VR6 cabs that you guys had. It was the same car, right? The 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 Mulberry was it a Mulberry one and then the silver one? Was yeah, that the same yeah. car? It, it started out it it was uh it was tornado red, it's just a four-cylinder back in ninety-four. And then um yeah, then I painted it mulberry to go along with my GTI and um did the VR swap, normally aspirated, and then uh did it silver um, and turbocharged it for its final incarnation. You did some really subtle flaring on that car too, didn't you? Like, remember? It was yeah, because I, I had to have 18s. That was that was it. That's you know, it. We, it was all about big wheels and the lowest profile tires. And I, you know, to me, it needed to be low by today's standard. People laugh so that. Was, yeah, right, right. But we had <laughs> we had coilovers. We had the first you know commercially available set of coilovers. It was an Opt Bilstein kit, and they were like $2,400 a set, you know, that's back in the nineties. That's yeah. ridiculous money, but, you know, had to be able to get it down. You know, people were cutting springs and stuff back then. So right. this, this worked, but yeah, we, I, I spent a lot of time on those fenders. That car was cool. Yeah. All right. Before we go too far into that, I'm, I'm curious if I can go back to Joe for a minute, because yep. Joe Hoppin is something that like, as, as somebody who's, prides himself on spending some time and being a, a you know a, a student of history in this space of the brand like Audi of America and its history kind of pre B5A4 gets really just kind of thin because very few people are around from that period anymore and of course Joe's no longer with us right. but like I'd love to know I don't know if you ever if Joe ever talked about that period of time or whatever but like it seems so sort of I don't want to say like stuff falling off the back of a truck, but it was so much more like relaxed and like, he, like shoot from the hip in that era. Can and that's why he, rally. That's why he got so far. Joe is, he could charm anybody. Joe is a schemer, man. Joe got, he did what he wanted and he did it his way. And you stay out of his way kind of thing because yeah. people like him. He's got, you know, he has everybody on his side like that. So I could totally see that he didn't put it in that terms joe would always you know he, he had a corporate he couldn't help it you know it, it was he knew how to navigate hard. it yeah Clearly. but um he did he talked about it being a lot of fun and you know even you know sort of lamenting over how you know um, political things and, and corporate things ultimately got towards the end so he yeah. would say you know like he he retired at the right time and stuff like that sure he, I don't know if I could, you know, do it, you know, it's, you know, accountants are looking over your shoulder for everything and, you know, sponsors and stuff like that. No, it was, it was like a, yeah, it was a skunk works kind of, kind of thing. I mean, then. And you look at his, I don't know when he starts exactly, but you said he's Can-Am, right? So like early seventies. Yeah. 
through so that's 91730 Porsches. Those are ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. cars. And then on through the Audi rally uh por- like period. I don't know when he at what point he dropped out of Volkswagen Group. Um, but I mean it was phenomenal uh, history there. Yeah, I think it was mid mid eighties that he did. Okay. Late 80s. So thereabouts. Rally yeah. era is coming to a close. Right. Yeah, but you know, he's North America, so he also said he, you know, he he was aware of all the Group B stuff and, you know, definitely enjoyed it and I'm sure worked with some of those guys, but he didn't get the fun that they had over in North America. Yeah. I think, so Buffum did get a Sport Quattro towards the end. I assume that was probably through Joe. And and the way the American, like SCCA Pro Rally, allowed it to continue to compete. So the Sport Quattro continued to clean up in the United States for like yeah. a couple more seasons after It was a WFC. private year, right? Right. Well, good question. Technically. I, I, yeah, I don't want to. I'm at the edge of my knowledge here, so I just don't want right. to speak to. But but I know he ran, he ran for Audi of America uh, with like factory livery during that period. But like, oh, yeah. to I don't know what point I'd have to go back and look at photos and try and see right. But I think he through at least the Sport Quattro's arrival, um, he he was with them. And at a certain point, maybe he's running as a privateer. I know he has still in his shop up in Vermont. He's got an S2 that he ran towards the end. With yeah. like, I think it's got a group B motor in it. Oh, wow. And um, yeah. So that car, he, he competed in SEC pro rally just seemed to be like wild, wild west too. Right. Like it was yeah. so it wasn't locked down like WRC was. And so, you know, they, they might yeah. do, I know Joe is behind like Pikes peak, right? Like Pikes peak with Michelle yeah. and, oh, yes. and her like, and, and reading, doing the research we did on that, right. Like just trying to make the, the rivalry between like managing Bobby Unser and then and Michelle and 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 maybe trying to r- have them run in the same year, which never actually happened, but I know it was an idea he had. Like, yeah. um, it he seems loved, like a fascinating. He love Michelle Matan. He loved yeah. her. Yeah. Anyway, such a fascinating year. I'm always interested to hear like what people know of it because there's so few people who know anything of it. I know it's a shame because it was like some of the funnest times in motorsport that you know. Yeah, that that I'm aware of, you know, I'm sure the older guys have even more fun in their days. Sure. Yeah, it just doesn't seem the same right now. You know, I was it's funny, like next year for Le Mans and we'll see if Audi's in it. I I suspect they probably aren't at this point uh, because they're trying to shift things to F1. But but uh, I don't know. I I was encouraged for Le Mans next year. Yeah, some of the stuff the U.S. like formula is is a bit formulaic. don't want to be redundant there and saying that right but like it's you know what three different chassis maybe four different chassis and you know it's it i think everything all the hybrid and it's not the science fair that lmp1 was and while lmp1 was like so much more buttoned down from a role perspective it, it was it's still kind of that open i love yeah. the science fair nature of of motorsport yeah. right if you oh, allow same. people to try things absolutely yeah i mean yeah. and that's why you know and i, I I respect the hell out of nascar and their drivers and stuff like that but that's why that's never spec yeah. you know the template thing there and yeah and and spec racers too you know those guys my my uncle's been involved in you know formula renault and all those so many of the spec rate but it, again it's i love the you know the open fields of all the different things and you know i i grew up near lime rock park and uh, my dad used to race formula v's um actually super v's and uh with bob sharp you know bob sharp was a good friend of his he had a dealership up in connecticut That's so cool. my dad always had like tricked out five tens and z's and stuff so so he would race um and take me up there and uh you know that's back you know scca heyday 
you know, right. the, the, all the Trans Am cars. And then, then IMSA, you know, started, you know, with the GTU and GTO cars and it's like, then Audi comes and it was like, it was amazing, you know, because Audi was nothing before then, you know, right. in, in American sports car. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. For sure. And then they come in and it's like, and I remember one day and we were there over Memorial Day weekend and that was like a big IMSA race. And they, they had two of the, uh, you know, the 90 Quattro, you know, GTO cars and it was raining. <laughs> and, it, you know, Lime Rock is a 1.5 mile track. You know, there's only, there's only one left-hand turn. Um, it's actually one point, almost they added a chicane. So it's like 1.6 now, but whatever it, oh, it's, yeah. it, it's tiny and, and it's narrow and I mean, but it's beautiful and it's hard for these big cars to pass, you know, and, uh, they were, it, they were lapping the feet, you know, in a 45 minute, you know, heat, they were lapping the field twice in the rain. <laughs> and that's, you know, that whole unfair advantage thing, but that's what right. Absolutely. The sound they made, everything about them, they were so aggressive, the and so futuristic. You couldn't, you know, all these other cars have big, you know, bulging fender flares and stuff. These things were just wide. They just, you know, and the turbo fans and everything. And to me, you know, as a young guy, it's like, oh my God, this is the yeah. coolest thing ever. Yeah. Is that kind of what got you? I guess I didn't, I never knew the part about your dad uh, and, and Lime Rock. I, I guess the, my, so is that what got you into it? That period of, Oh, time? absolutely. Absolutely. Being at Lime, I mean, Lime Rock is one of the best spectating part, you know, it's in a little valley. It's, there's no stands, right. there's no stadiums. It's all, you sit on grassy hills and you can see 75% of the track. It's absolutely amazing, you know, and the pits are, you know, open to the spectators. And so it's really a cool park. And um, yeah, so I, I just, I looked forward to those weekends, like crazy to go up there and I would just cruise the parking lot because of stuff you would see, you know, 9.30 turbos everywhere. I'll go back to the Vortex thing one more time. I'm sure it'll happen again in this conversation. Yeah. I used to drive Vondreska nuts because when we would go to Wolfsburg, I would want to walk the parking lot, like the employee parking lot, yeah. because yeah. like that's where all the cool stuff was parked. I did and that like, every time I went to Germany too. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Yeah. yeah. Which I, he's like, dude, let's get in the museum or whatever. Like, no, no, the cool stuff's here. The cool like, stuff's out here. Yes. Yeah. Like, you go to our, you, you go to our old uh, shop in the library, which is full of, you know, film, you know, photos and uh, in photo albums. And uh, yeah. it's just some of them are just full of us just going up and down the, the parking lot because Adrian was exactly the same. Some of the stuff would <laughs> blow our minds, you know. Yeah. I mean, seeing even back then, seeing rally golfs as daily drivers and, you know, sport quattros and stuff, it was just the Germans. Yeah, are awesome. that's, yeah. It's such a great part of their culture. Yes always appreciated that yep same here so but um yeah the, the hopping part in vw sport and the way that you know that company had morphed over time and then you know the wheel thing did well well actually the the snowflake did well but we were thinking okay what's what's the next wheel we're going to do and that's where matt and i were sitting around saying you know we don't want to be trendy so let's not do anything concave what about a totally flat wheel and our you know five spoke is you know, everybody's starter wheel. And we would go through, you know, we had like our lookbooks of all the, the cars that we loved and, you know, from OZ to, you know, the Compomotives versions of those and, you know, all that. And we, we came up with it and we had Jason draw it up and we put it on Facebook. Facebook was, was you know, it back then. And this is 2010, 
I think 2000, no, maybe 11, something like that. They weren't screwing with your algorithms. You couldn't even pay them to promote anything that they weren't monetized at all yet. And we had a massive following and our followers actually got to see our posts. It was amazing. I don't know if people can even understand. It was pretty powerful back then. Yeah. I think, I think at that point, pages had just kind of happened, right? Like yes. pages are kind of nothing. Everything's groups. But like back then, I remember having like a, an individual identity for Fortitude, right? Like it was before they had pages. and was like, this is dopey. And then they opened up pages like, okay, now you can really build a following. Right. So we, we posted just, a, you know, a, a rendering of the, of the tarmac. And a day later, Brian Scotto hits me up. And, uh, and Scotto, he, he's like an old customer. Scotto's from the, you know, the East coast, he's from Brooklyn and stuff. And he's, uh, he's in a club called auto Creek, which, you know, they were, let's say infamous in the VW in the ass on our forums, but I still oh, love Brian anyway. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. They got, they all got banned. Each one of them, they took pride in, you know, how many, but, uh, so he called me up and he was working with Ken block. He was basically Ken's like business manager and stuff like that. They did, uh, I don't know, it's not cannonball, but they did, you know, something, you know, cross country and Subaru, Ken was working with Subaru. Anyway, he's like, right. it's like, dude, you know, what's, what's up with that wheel? We're, you know, Ken's looking for a new wheel for the gym. He had already made Jim Connor three. So he had had three okay. of them. And it was that epic one that in, in, you know, just in France on the bank thing. I mean, that was like one of the best one. And he was, I think it was his first one in a, in a Ford, in a Fiesta. Huh. Um, anyway, he, uh, He's like, you know, Ken's looking for a new wheel for the Jim Con. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Sure he is. And, and, and we're going to make it, right? <laughs> this is our second wheel. This wheel doesn't even exist yet. You know, it's a yeah. rendering. It's like, wouldn't this be cool? We're the guys who make snowflakes, remember? He's like, no, no. He goes, Ken is, uh, you know, the wheels that he'd been using in the past um, weren't strong enough. I won't call them out or whatever. A lot of people know. He goes, even though they're forged, they, they kept breaking. He wants something strong. Um, and he wants something cool. And Ken likes supporting new companies. And I told him that you and Matt are my friends, personal friends, and you're starting out. He wants to do that. And that's what cool is that? a lot of people don't know about. Ken is like super loyal. You know, Ken, you know, he started, he's, he's an entrepreneur. He gets, yeah. you know, he was a little guy, you know, 1.2, just, you know, an athlete doing his thing. And so he really thought that that was a cool opportunity. And, um, you know, we definitely caused him some headaches along the way. And his, you, you can ask, uh, you know, Derek, his, uh, his team manager about that, how we, <laughs> we caused some delays and some things there because because we were noobs. But I mean, the relationship was always amazing. Ken, yeah, there's there are these big ass companies that would contact him after every Jim Connor video and say, hey, we'd like to give you wheels and be that and pay you a lot of money, you know, and Ken said, no, I'm that's busy, cool. Busy too. So got to give him tons of credit for that. But uh, so we had to rush this design through because they were ready to get started. So we did uh, we did a forge set, and um, you know we it was our first motorsport wheel, obviously. So you know trying to work with that, make it make it strong enough, not too heavy. Um, there's a steep learning curve because exactly. you know you don't. There's certain things that you expect on a race car to break upon contact, and other things, and other things that you really don't want to break you know, based on the spare parts that you bring to an event and, you know, your ability to, to remove and replace them. Um, so we, we had a couple for Jim Conn of four, it was definitely a learning experience. That was the one at uh, Universal Studio. And we'll just say that we actually made those wheels a little too strong. 
Oh. Um, and after that, he ended up using just our off-the-shelf cast wheels. And really? those, yeah, and because that's you know that's very similar to what a race car wants. The way that you know the the load ratings and the you know the the um, you know all the the safety you know concepts that we work with in our engineering you know are compatible like that. Especially his Jim Connor thing, but. You know, they weren't, we never got our wheels FIA approved. So we weren't on, you know, all of this competition, you know, when he was doing WRC, but all the Jim Connor videos, uh, you know, the, uh, the, some, some of the local events, you know, pro rally, things like that. So it was really cool. I mean, that, that was a really fun time for us and, you know, God helped our recognition, like, oh, I bet. And especially yeah. in the wheel game. Yeah. It's funny the phenomenon that Jim Connor became, right? Like it's, um, yeah, it, it's not a simple formula, but it is. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm sure it's Brian would probably be <laughs> like shooting oh, it. I'm sure it's, yeah. it's not easy, and and there's a real art to it. But like at the end of the day, like honing a car around, it's. I mean, it's 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 in in retrospect the perfect formula for you. That's YouTube, right. right. I mean, it speaks to us on a base level, and we don't care that it is. You know, the viewer doesn't care that it's a truly logistical nightmare i mean we did yeah. jim Connor seven was out here in southern california i mean we shut down the the 101 freeway um for like an hour to do some filming there we were in the la river doing yeah. you know doing takes in there it, it's it was not easy did, at all did you get to attend some of the oh, filmings yeah. Of, yeah yeah we went to pretty much all of them the only one we didn't go to was uh i guess the one in dubai i forget what number that was eight or something like that but yeah we we went to all of them <laughs> fun yeah that sounds right yeah I'm, I'm so glad to see them in the audi fold i'm, I'm happy for brian too wow, because man. i know it I, I think the, the first time i met him we were at sebring without we were both in audi hospitality and like he came up to me and he was like you know how brian is just genuine all the time right like yep. just always and and i think that's why he's one of my favorite people in the industry but he's he's not fake in any way and he no, he, he, he came up and he's like i'm a, like he's here he is he's editor you know even at that time i think he was was he at um zero to 60 i guess at that point yeah maybe and um and he's like i'm i'm a big fan of fortitude i'm like you know it's it, it, i had a pretty narrow window of people who were big fans right so like so like so i was like all right cool whatever he's like and six then, seven so that yeah. i know right and, yeah and so i was like at first i'm like i don't really i generally when people would tell me they were a big fan of like the very very narrow niche of what i did i'd be like yeah okay whatever <laughs> right like i would like the more the more i talked to him the more watching him like go down with all that it was it's oh, it's mostly in heaven seeing him and ken doing oh, out totally I'm, I'm so you know not jealous but it's like the timing it's like shit i got you know i got i got done with 1552 and we sold a car yeah. and, and like that that should have been us and it's like you know and, and yeah. now he's got rotiform on all this stuff and they're yeah. hanging out and with audi and going over that it's like man rotiform guys that are yeah they're they're living large it, right now. it's a it's a great time to be in that space and i'll tell you what's even more remarkable about it remarkable about it is it's not a time probably the the switch to electromobility is helping i know that's a big part of ken's tie-in they did the cars for sema but that wasn't an audi thing that was more just brian being wanting to finally finish his car right and, and uh and and Ken wanting to get some an icon for himself, but what a, what but a, there's not a lot of money in in the space right now, right? Like all the manufacturers are spending money on like well, even if they have parts, which is you know the war in Ukraine's not helping what's already been a backlog, yeah. but but like beyond that, the switch to electromobility has taken like so much so much budget out of everybody because you're literally developing two different platform sets, two different 
And one's like, dead. One has a dead end. One is they know right. you want to invest in. It's on its last breath. So yeah, yeah. To, to be doing that. But but Audi's very smart. And Brian is always, you know, his sense of PR has always been top notch. Brian knows, he knows the scene. He listens. He actually listens. He reads comments on right. you know, the Hoonigan and stuff like that. He's not just some guy sitting in an office. He really cares about all that stuff. So he knows and you know, I'm sure he helped Audi understand as well the, the link, you know, it's cool, you know, electric cars, fine, you, you're going to get that. But, you know, you got to keep that that link you know, within the brand and the, and the heritage, the motorsport heritage is, is so iconic that it's, you can't just leave it on the table. Just because what I those with. things have internal combustion engines and the new cars don't. Totally, right. And I, I think that's what I wrestle with is that like, you have this switch coming with electromobility. You have kids whose like main view of independence nowadays isn't their car, but but their phone, right? Yeah. And 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 so it's a real challenge of a time. And and so seeing car manufacturers question like, you know, you, you, we before the call started, we're chatting about wheels and kind of wheel, where wheel trends are and volume is. Volume is for everything is SUVs, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, or crossovers. And, and so it's almost like this appliancification of the industry where that's just a transportation appliance. And I, I, for me, that's been the biggest puzzle. And, you know, working at Audi Club, it's what we do is, is engagement and being invested in a brand. And why are you invested in a brand? If it, you know, I'm not, I have a Bosch dishwasher at home. I know it's a Bosch because like, I think we bought it because I thought it was cool because it was German and I like the design. I I but at the end of the day, I don't care about it, right? right like I right. put my dishes in it and close it and I'm never going to think about it twice except for maybe to bring it up in a podcast when i'm complaining about appliances and so like that's where like i don't want the cars to become that the cars have to remain something that like people are engaged in and i so for that i like turn more to like disney right like here you have a company that's like that gets ip right that their ip is timeless they can continue to play those things and you know more than like jma is designing the new beetle or or whatever like it's 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 a it's a long progression and it's something that you can continue to enrich your product volkswagen group above all i think maybe bmw maybe is is in the same league as far as being a good brand steward but i'm going on a tangent here i'm sorry (laughs) i totally totally agree with you and i have my my thoughts aligned with that too because as enthusiasts you know we're kind of you know dinosaurs we're somewhat threatened you know our old way of life too you know and we're and we're old like dinosaurs so you have the fact that our way of life is changing whether we want it to or not and you know how do we how do we look at that how do we see the glass being half full um and you're absolutely right and and i think you know some of these companies get it too and it's my, my view is i mean like Tesla has been, you know, a, a paradigm shift. It, it's, I mean, it's changed everything and the way, and then the plaid, you know, the Model S plaid, just like it's rewritten the rules for what fast is. And right. to some degree, you know, even the, the you know, uh, the Challenger, you know, Hellcats and all that stuff. I mean, we're talking, you know, I remember when a, when an 11 second, you know, super bike was a fast you know, appliance. I mean, it was something that was, you know, scary fast. Now we have like eight second, nine second, you know, OE car, OEM car. It's just mind boggling. So, you know, what we think of fast and fun has to change because, you know, faster and fat, we've reached it. You know, that's it. Yeah. We really aren't going to get, you know, now we're in literally tenths of a second to argue with online. Um, You know, I know it's fun for a lot of people, but for me as an enthusiast, it's like, you know, where do we look now? And it's like, you know, the more analog stuff that 
we have that and, and it and it's cool because it makes like to be able to enjoy let's say like let's a mark ii volkswagen gti like a 16 valve back in the day and not too long ago i would get one of those and i all i could think of was yanking that engine out put a vr6 in or turbo or something because it's just not fast right know? it's 123 horsepower in us spec the 1.8 you know and, and it's just not fast and that's not, not good enough and now it's like it's there's a nostalgia it's like yeah i want to i'd like to rebuild one i, I want to do can i i want to make it i don't care about power i want to do what i can just to to you know let it rev to to 8000 and then right. man, i'm happy as hell i make the car lighter and stuff you know it's 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 different and that's electrification has done that um you know on that level and made, in my opinion, made you appreciate the older cars. And I don't think they're going to just all of a sudden disappear either. Yeah, no. I mean, that well, the market seems to suggest that everybody thinks they're going, <laughs> well, not that they're going to disappear, but it almost seems like musical chairs, right? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, a nice GTI. Oh my gosh, a nicer quattro. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Now the bring a trailer phenomenon. We just, we just reached that. That's like, a, isn't that like the modern context of mentioning Hitler in a, in a discussion or something? <laughs> Is it? When once you bring up bring a trailer and, and as yeah. far as pricing in the market, it's like, yeah, you just shut down. There's it's there's tough, right? It, it's gentrification of the automobile, but it's 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 um it's weird because like I'll look at the Urquatra market, for instance, right? Like I a couple of years ago, right after Vortex, I bought a car. Um I bought an Urquatra, like a it's solid, it's just oh, I, know. I know that car. Right. That car. So I bought it because I was going to go into, I had a partner lined up and we were looking, before I got started working with Audi Club, we, we were talking about building, yeah, every, I'm going to shoot lofty on the reference I say, but like Singer has set such a model, right? And they're kind of retro modern right. um, continuation cars, whatever you want to call them. And like, so like, I still think the market for Quattro's, actually there's not much volume there, so maybe not, <laughs> but it seemed like it at the time. And I guess I was living wishfully that maybe there were still some coupe quattros that haven't been converted to rally cars in Europe that would be easy pickings and we could just build them. So right. we, we we bought this one and I bought it cheap and I, I it's just been sitting in a warehouse until more recently I'm starting to play with it. But it's it's it, I'm mixed in this space. Like everybody's like, I'm glad because I'm in because I don't want to buy one anymore. Right. Like yeah, they're so yeah. expensive. Yeah. But 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 like at the same time, like so the guys who who could afford them in the past are like, yeah, it sucks that they're so expensive. But at the same time, being worth money now has now moved them to the point where like the 911 market went years ago, which is now that they're worth money, people can afford to put money in them and spend money on maintaining them. Where like when they were worth 10 grand, nobody, they were all yeah. ratty and beat and rusty yeah. and whatever. The phrase ROI would get thrown about and then you just can't, you know, especially talking to your spouse or partner, forget it, trying right. to explain, you know, what's the ROI? Well, it's nothing. It's I'm, I'm going to lose a fortune if I do if I do anything with paint or interior, or, you know, anything other yeah. than just some upside basic. down. Yeah. But you're right now. It's not, especially if you, and nobody knows how high it's going to go. I, I've, you know, I follow, I'm not disparaging bring a trailer at all. I've been following it forever. I love it. That's like a huge source of entertainment for me without a doubt, but I've seen cars that I've been following it long enough that I've seen cars that were bought off bring a trailer in 2016 for what I thought was ridiculous money had, yeah complete refurbished especially in the 911 market complete refurbishments and stuff like that where i'm like what are you even thinking and now selling for a profit so you know nobody knows if you say you know you're you're full of crap we don't know how it doesn't make any sense but it's it's happening and 
you know, and the, and the Urquat trailer is still very interesting because I'm still amazed at how, how cheap they go overall relative to like an E30 and, and same with the 190 Cosworth. It's the, the Urquatro, especially for North America. I mean, the numbers are tiny. They're, you know, compared to E30, they're like a 10th of the, e, you know, the number of E30 M3s yeah. that came over. And they're, you know, it's a homologation special. It's, it's, you know, it's pedigree and provenance is like, you know, undisputable. Um, it's not, you know, this this is may sound like sacrilege. It's not a great car to drive on the street. I mean, it's not it's not fast. It's not light. It's not fun. It doesn't turn in like you. But but an E30 yeah. M3 is the same thing. People don't you know God's chariot and everything. I've had three of them, and <laughs> yeah. the only one that I ever really enjoyed was the one that I did a you know an S50 swap in, because um, it they're they're slow. You have to, if you want to drive it on the street, you've got to change the steering rack. You've got to put a Z3 rack. The stock rack is 3.6 turns lock to lock. Is it really? 3.6 turns in a little 27, 2800 pound car like that because they're built for long, you know, tracks. Right. And uh, the Z3 is 2.7, the 1.9 liter is. And it just changes the whole, it now is, you know, it's not like a Mitsubishi Evo, but it is, you know, turns in, it feels good relative to the power that's right. there. But it's a, you know, it's a thrashy motor, even though it has a balance shaft, it'll rev to seven grand. It doesn't sound great doing it. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's what it represents and how it looks and all that. And it's an old flexible chassis, even though these things were all, you know, seam welded and everything. It's, it's rose, rose colored glasses for, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, buying these cars on Bring a Trailer. And it makes you wonder, have they ever driven these cars that they're seeking? Have they ever sat in one and what's it like once it actually shows up, you know, because it really is not what you're expecting. Um, you know, at least the, the Urquhart that sounds amazing, you know, that five cylinder. Oh yeah. It, it, sure. it is, you know, even the 10 valve too, you know, I mean, it's. Arguably the 10 valve sounds even better. I, it's, um, it's funny. I haven't really had a chance to drive this one much yet. When I got it out of the warehouse, it sat for years in the warehouse after I bought it. And then, um, and then I got it recently and it was having just running issues, just running around my property was hard. So like, it's, it's down at not, nothing leaves stock now getting kind of sorted. Oh but yeah, like, Josh, Josh will take care of that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great, like a new five cylinder though. Be careful. He loves the, well, that's five, what, five that's cylinders. what we, it may show up in there. So we've been debating that. So do, do you do a, uh, if, if it's your car, do you keep the 10 valve? I think from an investment standpoint, maybe no, better with the 10. Rebuild it, put it on a stand, make it look good, but get that out of there. You're gonna drive and have fun, right? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, get, get that out of there. Put a an 07k. Put, yeah. Or yeah. Or a Daz. I mean, you could do a Daz. You know, but that's the way you can build a 7k to you know any power output that you want is because I fooled around. I you know I've I've got a lot of experience with that motor and I love it. I'm even thinking yeah. of an old, you know, and now. People have. I, I want to put one in a in a Mark III or Mark II, and they fit no problem. But if you're going to go, you have to do a shorter. I think it's the driver's side axle because it otherwise you it doesn't clear the the passenger okay. chassis leg. Well, and so I you have to move it a little bit, and that yeah. for all wheel drive makes it more of a challenge from the you know the rear prop shaft. But and I want you know all wheel drive, but I love that engine. That's so easy to modify, and they're freaking everywhere, man. They're so cheap. cheap. Yeah, that's well, if I now talking about that, I think you were the first 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were the first. I remember you hitting me with this harebrained idea you had of like, look, they put the, the 07K in the Beetle. I want to put it in. I don't even remember what you were putting in. Mark like, Mark was one it a Mark two. one? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it just did the recent, yeah, they put it in the Beetle. And the cool thing about that is it wasn't a Mark, it was a Mark four wiring harness. The Beetle's, you know, is a Mark four chassis basically. So it didn't, you know, the Mark five cars like the Golf and the Jetta came with the five cylinder, but for the harness, it's one piece from headlight to taillight. In the Beetle, it's a separate engine harness. So to me, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And that's, that's all I need. Right. And, you know, and we, we turboed it and everything. It was just, for me, the challenge, it was tough to get, because this was in Florida, the, the AC was different. Um, the, the new Beetle had a, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a clutched AC compressor like, you know, the Mark IV car. So that, that was the thing that was, was a huge pain in the butt for me. Um, but other than that, oh my God, was, that thing was fast. It sounded amazing. That's how a TT should be. And I believe me, I'm thinking, because Mark I TT values are going up. You know, yeah, I noticed that potential business model to throw out there. Somebody wants to start buying those up, you know, restoring them, make them nice. That that's that they'll make a little money for themselves. That has that car still speaks to me. The interior of that car is still like one of the most perfectly special minimalist interiors that ever. And it well, doesn't the other, it at all. The other side is the material quality of it. Like I remember when I have a friend, uh, I won't say who he is, but like one of the guys I know now at Audi used to work at Mercedes and he said when that car came out like he was at Mercedes and he remembers somebody brought one by and and the Mercedes this is in Stuttgart and they're going through it like how did they how did this like it was a PX special where like PX signed off on it was like yeah make those solid aluminum bezels great just do it (laughs) right like there's no there's no way that would have made it pass like in a post PX era there's no way that interior would have made it to production I know that's what I'm saying I think I I definitely would like to have another one I you know, I'm six four, but I fit in it no problem. Um, right. You know, visibility is great. It's you're sitting in a bathtub, but it's the potential. You know, it's a Mark IV chassis, but we've worked on them, and we had a, a customer who um, raced one uh, in, a, in a NASA class, and we we took it as I mean, you know, between that and like the the Golf, you know, the Mark IV R32, they're you know the the, the front suspension is different the geometry is different you know you could make one of those cars turn in you can make one of it rotate um without a lot of you know a lot of work and fabrication there's just parts on the shelf for that and it's a really satisfying little car yeah i just i i just can't stand the 1.8d i'm sorry it's that engine has never felt very good to me um never sounded good enough i i, I like the two liter turbos Direct injection was, you know, a huge change for how, you know, we could bump up compression ratios and get throttle response and turbo, you know, right. at the same time. But uh, I, I just that five cylinder is so good. It really. I is. think I think Josh has built at least one, maybe more, uh, like 07K turbo TTs now. Oh, um, no good. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, that's, I found one recently. I, I, same thing. I've got a full garage, so I can't really have a hard time selling my wife on allow me to bring home another, you know, puppy, <laughs> like, but I found a, a, a couple months ago, I'm k- still kicking myself over this. I found it. It looked a little like it needed a little work, but it was a, a factory Nagaro, uh, Mark one TT 3.2. Yeah. And I was like, so like, I'm mean, 05, whatever it was. But like, I, I literally called Anthony Garbus at Audi and was like, can you verify that this, this thing is, it looks in the pictures like Nagaro, is it? And he's like, 
check the van. It is out exclusive, like which was kind of MIA back then. You didn't really see it happening. Yeah. But I mean, I think we're getting close that like what the first year of production on TT is 98, 99? 99. Yeah. It's 99. So we're two years away from the European market cars starting to open up. And I guess another year to Quattro. Right. Um, so we'll see. But I, I mean, I'm at like as when Europe opens up as easily importable, then you start getting some other weirdo spec, like yeah. the factory pole position seats and yeah, you know. so the yeah, they're their version of our ALMS special anniversary, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No backseat, like half cage. Oh, like the sport, dead. the quadra yeah. sports. And yep. yeah. Yeah. But just imagine what they'll go for. It's just be like RS2 money or something. Man. Gosh, I hope not. RS2s have gotten insane. Yeah. But I get it. That's like, you know, that's, that's an icon. That That's like one of the most special cars ever to me. That's why, you know, my, my driver's edition, you know, Mark III VR6s were always, you know, built. I had had Porsche brakes, Porsche Cup One wheels on them, and even a little, you know, RS2 little badge below the taillight, all right. red taillights, and they were always, you know, jazz blue, which is exactly the same. And this this debate goes on forever. It's exactly the same color code as Nagaro blue. Nagaro blue has a different clear coat with a little bit more. Um, that's the word I'm looking at. The metallic. Pearl? It's not metallic. It's a like a pearl. Pearl. I can't yeah. totally pearl effect in German. Yeah. Yeah. And but they both the base is exactly the same. So to me, it's like when Volkswagen offered a jazz blue Mark III VR6, I had to I had to have it. And if we had had a variant, you know, the wagon man, right? That, there's and again, I went to I went to Essen and saw them. They had a uh, it was a jazz blue 2.9 synchro um, Mark III golf variant color concept. So it had, you know, it had the uh, the Recaro seats with the blue centers, not Alcantara, like the RS2, but, leather. but right. leather. And it's like, oh my God, just lower that and put that on some cup ones and I'm in heaven. Yeah. And you can get, it's you know, you can get the variants. There are a bunch of companies making them here, you know, but the, the, the 2.9 VR6 Synchro is a really, really special car. You know what, though, surprisingly, I, did they just not sell that many? Like, I watch uh, Autoscout24 and Mobile.de and, like, the other German and European kind of auto trader sites, and they have a really wonderful selection of those sites where, like, our auto trader and cars.com is all, like, anything older than 10 years is, gets really thin really fast. Right, right? Yep. But over there, the vintage cars and race cars and whatever are still pretty prevalent. But I, I, well, I see a ton of Mark threes and I see a ton of Mark threes. I'd love to get my hands on, right? Like the anniversary GTIs and right. like, you just don't see a lot of VRs and, and like were, a VR variant would be, I, I can't imagine they sold any. Money. They were crazy money back in the day. They were almost like twice the price of a, you know, 1.4 liter, you know, Mark, Mark three, they were ridiculously expensive. So that's why they just didn't sell. And, and once you're in that, it was totally BMW money or Audi money and stuff like right. that. I'm not surprised they didn't sell many. And they're, you know, they weren't, they were special to me as a North American because I couldn't get it. But, you know, the 2.9 was, you know, 190 horsepower versus, you know, 178. And, it, you know, and the synchro was not Quattro, you know, it's a viscous. It was still viscous it, coupling. Yeah. Right. So like in the, what's in the rally golf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's what synchros, you know, 
it depends on the chat, you know, like with the quantum, you know, that was Quattro, that was a torsion, but right, yeah, and on so which, it, which way the engine went, you know, north and south or east or west. So that's correct me if I'm wrong, because you're, you're, I'm sure you're deeper knowledge on the Volkswagen stuff. So, so, um, if it's longitudinal, it's, it's, well, the earlier Quattro and then later Torsen, like the B5 right. Passats would have had the same Audi as the Audi system. Yep. But if it's transverse, it's synchro up until Mark four, at which time they go to Haldex, Haldex and that's right. continues to today. Yeah. And then with my, evolution, like, um, you know, Touareg and stuff like that's different, you know, the SUVs, but yeah, but for right. the passenger cars, yes, that is true. It's just a marketing thing between four motion and quattro or synchro back in the day. Yeah. Quantum synchro wagons can kind of rare too. Like I, I, well, but they don't uh, hold value like like no. the Audis do. But no, and it was and it was so much more car. You know, it's a bigger car, and you know, you automatic. You always got the five cylinder, and uh, you know, better wheels, and they they were really nice inside. Those were, you know, it's funny because Passats like that have been here. You know, like the B five Passat was always like so nice, and in some ways nicer than the A. You know, the B five A four is a bigger car. Right. They even made a W8 version and all that. I mean, it was just crazy the way Volkswagen has dabbled, thrown shit at the wall in the North American market. And I think a lot of that was Piek, right? Like Piek was yeah. my understanding. Somebody told me a story once about him that there was some diesel motor. It wasn't, believe it or not, it wasn't the W8. It wasn't the BR5. It was, but it was, there was some diesel motor where like they were sitting there with the financial analysts and they were like, it just doesn't, we, we, it doesn't make sense for, we can't afford it. It's not going to get developed. And he literally pulled his own checkbook out. He was like, I want it to happen. Right. Like, right. so, and, and the, he's the kind of guy who could, and what I always love, but for whatever bad may have, you know, people may have thought of Pia, and he was certainly an interesting and, and, and very robust personality, yeah. but like he, he is the, I mean, you can single-handedly point to him and say, he is one of the reasons like they were able to be as agile as they were through that period and try some of the weird things they did that, you know, the Phaeton, you know, the W12. And honestly, that one was brilliant because I think he got, I think he was able to get so many OE suppliers to, to like make, to bid on this new luxury Volkswagen. Right. And then all, so many of those parts went right into that Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the, had, building had the factory to, and he, yeah. you know, they're buying into the whole factory that he did there too. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was pretty, those were real interesting times. And of course, you know, we were working together. I was, you know, editorial director at that time and, uh, you know, in the press pool rotation. So I had my share of Phaetons and single-handedly my wife's favorite car out of everyone. And I, I had an A8 W12 too. She liked the VW better. She liked the seat. She liked the interior. She liked that, the weight of it, the heft, you know, weight. Yeah. And the A8's aluminum. The VW wasn't. It was like almost 2,000 pounds more. And uh, it just felt amazing. And I loved that it just, to everybody else, especially in South Florida, it's, it's a big Passat. I yeah. like that. That appeals to me. You know, it's like that, that's really Sleeper. cool. You know, my 120, cause it was the four seater, which made even less sense, you know, in that car <laughs> that you could pay an extra $12,000 to remove one of the rear seats, but it gave you these, you know, cool, like kind of recline, you know, so it was a total yeah. executive car, but the double pane windows, the disappearing vents, the, you know, the non-directional which airflow, it was Piek didn't like drafts. That was totally yes. a Piek thing. Yeah. Yes. That, that car was epic. The engineering in that, you know, and it's like, man, I, I it, it was fun. It was fun getting those cars back then. And everything was, you know, different. You never knew what, 
you know, Volkswagen was going to do next. And we were getting some of the Euro stuff, you know, we were getting some right. of the stuff, but not anymore, man. No. Well, like, I mean, like, there's... The, like the, the, the ID buzz. I mean, that to me, that's just, I'm sorry, but it's to not bring over the short wheelbase version to America just because we love big cars and stuff like that. It's they're, they're missing a knit at the per, it's a personalization you, thing that, you that think, kind of appeals to people that not everybody wants to drive a minivan so i i have a guess on that one is that like um well the tiguan's probably the gonna throw away my guess and, and make it wrong but my theory here is like they've got you know with any any of the the times they're federalizing these vehicles right they probably have a limited number of slots to federalize and so that's where you see certain cars you know, like TT, its time is numbered because it just doesn't do volume. Like right. in today's market, it's just not. And, and yeah. which is a shame because it's a wonderful car. But, but I guess where I'm going with that is like if they were choosing to bring one, a long wheelbase probably oh, I get is. It. It's an e when it's an either or proposition, I get that. I'm but, just disputing the fact that it needs to be an either or, that some more effort should be put into having both here because. The short wheelbase cargo version also is going to be, you know, appealing to a lot of smaller shops who don't need the bigger one, just like the Transit Connect versus the Transit, you know, I mean, it's right. a, that's a real, you know, niche. But do, you, do you think if I, I have to think that vehicle is going to be wildly successful? And if it is, then it seems like it's only a matter of time before the short wheelbase arrives. I well. hope so, because I would I love it. I would quite potentially buy. A short wheelbase one but there's no way in hell i'm going to buy the long one that just don't i don't want something that big i don't need it now there's some saying that you know the short wheelbase version was never built to accommodate the dual motors which i can't believe that makes no sense to me but that's some of the rumor out there so you know because america needs you know we need the extra motor and the more power and all that in america people view electrification in a vehicle as a you know, as a performance enhancement you know that instant torque that's that's a so big marketing thing europe it, not so much it's all range it's only about range over there is the short wheelbase rear wheel drive yeah so the motor's yeah. in the rear and the short wheelbase it's like the it's the id4 chassis and it's like so the how, base id4 with the rear engine i mean the rear motor only i don't understand why the long wheelbase wouldn't work though because like not it wouldn't house both motors just because like even the q4 oh, which is I'm saying there are some saying that the short wheelbase version, which I don't, because the ID4 has dual motors too, right. that has that option. So it doesn't yeah. make any, any sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious with that vehicle too. It kind of makes me think about the potential of like, like an A2 style vehicle that was way ahead of its time as well. Like the, the Audi A2, not the right. Mark II, yeah. but like the, um, the pandemic especially got me to thinking we you know my we have an e-tron in my household it's a great car we didn't have to go to the gas station at all during the pandemic it was just right. we have the gas car sit and we just charge it home we don't have to deal with the public but like um that got me to thinking of like so many of my friends here who are like some of my friends who are like well off and have big houses but they don't have they don't have like a, an office in the house right and they're in some cases still working from home and and they're playing in like some weird space in their basement where their kids are wrestling and fighting with each other in the background and whatever else. And like to be able to have like a, a vehicle like the ID buzz or like some sort of like more utilitarian box that, that you would, you could drive to like a, a Starbucks and, or something and like plug in and just run your, your climate control all day. Right. And, and Wi-Fi either be on Starbucks Wi-Fi or your own in the vehicle. And like, 
it's literally a roving office. I have a buddy yeah. who during the pandemic bought a T3, like a Vanagon. He lives in Maine and he, he, you know, they've been camping a lot. And when his kids are ballet or whatever else, he just works out of the back of the mannequin. And, and, uh, you know, it's during the pandemic it was a relief to not be around human beings. Right. Like, a, well, that's what, you know, projects well, that's, you know, project two, right. the company. That's, yeah. that's how they made their name was in modifying, you know, T4s. the, the, the T yeah, T3, T4, and then they're still doing it. And most of them were mobile offices. Those were, you know, executive cars they built them out with full office you know and flat screens and stuff and you know it was pretty advanced even back in the day and the, the germans do that you know they they want to work all the time you know they, they sit in traffic just like we do and want right. to be able to work so and it's it's got the space but yeah the the id buzz absolutely the fact that it's you know it's it, it can power itself is you know even i mean power. honestly the e-tron has been i remember going to right after we got the car we, I, my wife was out of town and we took it to like a soccer. It was a really cold morning, uh, like a soccer tournament that my oldest daughter was in. And we get there and because my wife's not with us and I'm an idiot, we get there and my youngest one gets out of the car and she's like, I'm cold. Like, get your jacket. Like, I don't have a jacket. with me. <laughs> like, like, so, so literally I, I stuck her with her iPad in the car and I just ran the climate control off the app. And like for, you know, two and a half hours, she's, just hanging out doing whatever on her ipad and like perfectly comfortable yeah. and uh you know two and a half hours on running heat you're not going to run much power down so like you know she she could just hang out and that's literally what it was that day the problem is like even the e-tron is just it's a it's a conventional suv right so it's not like while i've sat in it and worked while i wait on my kids at soccer practice and stuff it, to have something where i could like flip the seats around or have yes. a you know pop-up table or whatever else would yep. just be phenomenal so I think it's a whole new market. And I'm, I'm curious to see what other vehicles come of like, you know, they talk about like the, what's the one they're working on? That's like the A8 replacement. And I think Porsche was in on it, whatever else. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but like these vehicles that like could be something other than just a car. I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's the side of electric cars that really excite me. Like, cause it kind of opens up the paradigm in a way that like none of us have really oh, thought absolutely. of or, or yeah. perfected yet. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's cool having, other people like you know software engineers working you know that how they see cars and transportation and lifestyle and ergonomics and stuff like that versus you know the people who have been doing it forever with you know the the ICE cars it's it's pretty cool I mean sometimes it's it's goofy as hell because that's their perspective but you know yeah. look at my perspective so it doesn't always you know mesh together but it is cool we're getting new opportunities and and there there is going to be fun there's definitely going to be fun with that kind of you know torque and everything and and the low center of gravity there's absolutely fun. That, that's the magic right i think at that point you were talking earlier about tesla and whatever else the problem with with tesla or most electrics including my e-tron is is at the moment there's such an expectation on range and energy density is only so good in today's batteries and so to do any sort of expected range you're talking about a big pig of a car it's heavy right. You know, the 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 um e-tron, I believe, is somewhere around 400 pounds heavier than an SQ7. So like yeah. a, a loaded out V8 twin turbo SQ7, uh, smaller e-tron and still more heavy. Like it, it's while it corners very flat, you get it into a corner and you can't really disguise that weight. Right. Like it's 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 the all wheel drive system works pretty well, but you're still pushing a lot of weight around a corner. All tires can only grip so much. Yeah. Right. And like break like to take it out to the track, like the braking and the, t the tires you're going to. Yeah. So I, I, it, it, I, that's where I'm curious to like who jumps in. It might be Lotus. I think I'm curious who 
who gets to it first, but like who actually does a sports car for, for driving performance versus like you must go 200 miles or else you're laughable or 300, I think is the expectation by some people when I well, have just, conversations about my e-tron. I know it's like people, they have these expectations for electric cars that they don't have for their own cars. It's, you know, for gas cars, it's like they drive with the full tank. They have to have a full tank all right. the time. We don't do that. You know, yeah. I don't. Um, and especially my, my 911 with the, you know, with the gas tank up front, you know, and it holds 15, 16, 17 gallons. It's like the difference between a full tank on a rear engine car without power steering, you know, and, and, and a half, you know, almost empty tank is, it's huge. I mean, it totally, yeah. so if I don't even do it in that car like that, cause I know the difference, but right. people do that. And that's, it's all about range because they have, you know, the anxiety about where they're going to be able to to, to recharge. And I know that that happens sometimes, but I got to believe, you know, it's almost a non-issue for 99% of the time because, yeah. you know, if you, I, I understand if you live in a condo or, you know, somewhere where you can't plug in when you're home, totally different. I get that. But, you know, it, yeah, having to have 300 miles and more of range or make it a, a non-starter, that means that, yes, you're carrying all that weight just for that what if thing right like having a full tank of gas all the time and you know that's just not the way cars get used not in reality so i think that's well that's what we found right like 90 we we found after a year and a half whatever point we ran out of our free like because you get a certain amount of charging from audi at least you did when we bought our e-tron that's what you get right right and it yeah, took it, charge america yeah Right. So like it was what we found was that maybe 10% of our charging is is public charging, right? Like right. Is, is rapid, whatever. And like, all, yeah, if I'm on a long road trip and we've taken the car to Maine and to Wisconsin and whatever, like oh, really? if I'm on a long trip like that charging, I want it by the highway and fast. But like beyond that, I'm charging at my house. Net, net, I've saved more time with that vehicle than I have my gas because I'm, you know, five minutes, five to 10 minutes, you know, gassing up my ice car versus, you know, one in 10 charging's being 20 minutes but otherwise yeah. irrelevant right because i'm sleeping or working or whatever like it's right. yeah big big picture is is not it's hard for a lot of people to get because they haven't experienced it yet yeah. so over time i think they will i think they'll get it i think you'll have you know the, the infrastructure hopefully will, will keep up um that's the trick with six i mean gas out here is six bucks a gallon um, is it really yeah and and, and up starts at right. six um I think, you know, even with that, there, there's not a huge rush to buy electric cars. It's, you know, they're still expensive relative to, you know, ICE cars and their availability isn't that awesome. You know, selection isn't that awesome. So it's going to take time. And I think, you know, the infrastructure has some time to try and catch up. And then once you don't have that anxiety of, you know, where it's almost as easy as getting gas, you know, and you can go with fast charging, you know, a modern electric vehicle can go from like 10% to 80% in like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, which is not much different than getting gas going in and you know, using the restroom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a, a huge factor. I think when we did Maine, I was one is my kids can't outlast the range of the car, right? 200 miles actually with four of us in the car. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're not. All right, we're actually probably at about 180 with the bikes and everything, like loaded up, like we're going to. So, like, that's one thing is I'm stopping that often anyway. Yes, the challenge right now is finding fast chargers. Like, I have to pre-trip it. 
like plan it out and, and right. know where I'm going so that I, but you know, when they're ubiquitous in at every exit, it should be no problem whatsoever. And um, it's already changed so much in the two years we've had the car. So like, I don't, I don't really, the other thing I find is like, I don't know about you, if I'm on a long trip with my family, if I'm in my, my gas car, I'm usually like, I'm setting up, like a, I'm, I'm out to set a record, right? Like I want to, like, I'm, I'm trying to move fast. I've got ways up. I'm going to make time. Right, right. And they're like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, shit, you know, and, you yeah. know, you're, you're in and out and back on the road. And like with the, the e-tron one is like, I can't really push them to get back in the car too fast because, you know, it needs, it needs like 15, 20 minutes. And then, and the other side of it is with the, with, I find with regenerative battery or regeneration, regenerating braking, like I, I, if I'm in traffic, I just don't care. I put it on like, you know, put it on the autonomous mode and it's doing its thing. If the guy in front of me is like annoying on his brakes, again, it doesn't really matter. It's regening. Right. I, like I, I get stressed if I'm like touching the brakes or I'm, I'm like, come on, man, just get out of my way. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm less stressful a driver that my family doesn't mind. They actually prefer it because I'm, I'm not pushing yeah. that hard. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife would relate to that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. She's she knows where the oh shit handle is in all of my cars. Yeah. Have you do you usually get the like would you really stop riding this person that closely? <laughs> oh, I get all that, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't she knows that she, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. <laughs> there are times where Nothing she's like, like, How did you know that he was gonna do that? How did you know to to be over there? You know, and it's like the the whole merging thing and you know, where she wants to get over right away and it's like nope. I'm a zipper yeah. guy. No. And if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be part of the zipper, I'm going to show you. I'm going to yeah. start the zipper. She's like, yeah, but people hate that. So I don't care. But it's it's, it's efficient, right? Like, they're it's, doing it wrong. And I'm it's not, situational awareness. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I had a buddy who, his kid's 16, and he got into two different accidents where I think, like, in the first year, but got rear-ended both times. So he's like, oh, it's not his fault. It's like, no, it's not. But, like, if you have situational awareness, yeah. Right. Like you're probably going to be able to get out of that situation. Like if you're watching anytime I'm stopped in traffic, I'm watching the road. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, especially so like, here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was driving Ken Block's focus on the, uh, on the 10 freeway and I couldn't get, couldn't get out of it. Some kid in a purple Honda Civic just plowed right into the back of me and then pushed me into a Camaro. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe this. Um, Ken. <laughs> oh no yeah and it's like because i'd taken it to an event and then i was just going with a friend of mine was in town and we we're going up to santa monica or something just to show them but yeah you situational awareness is everything until you can't do anything about it and yeah. i was watching going you know like, yeah, yeah right no well, sometimes you can't right but like what you're saying is like when your wife's like how did you know it was going to do that it's yeah. like well because if you're paying attention if i can play the stock market like i can watch traffic oh, gosh, yeah. i'd be a rich man but exactly we are we are rambling on today aren't we? we are yeah well, thanks two, man. two friends and co-workers who haven't done this and it's like you know In too damn know how long. entertaining it is for the audience necessarily but <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it i missed this covering a lot of bases yeah yeah well so T4s, have, speaking of Project Zoe, have you, have you, now that T4s are old enough to import, or yeah, old enough to import, have you thought right. about a T4? No, those, those just never did anything for me. No. I, you know, I, I go up to the T4. Vanagon, you know, once they stopped being rear engine, it just kind of lost 
awesome for me. Like, cause you know, I've, you know, a, a three liter 3.2 Carrera motor, you know, goes in the back of a Vanagon really nicely and you know, everybody's doing Subaru motors, but I'd love, you know, a Porsche air-cooled motor and back one of those. And I mean, we used to see that we'd go to the Nürburgring and see these guys. Yeah. There was a, there was a ring taxi, um, Vanagon, Vanagon uh, with a 911 SC three liter motor in it at one point in the eighties. And it's like, that's to me, that's the cool thing. It's it's cool, but the, the the dad in me has a problem with cab over, right? Like like I'm just oh, waiting, yeah. waiting for something to happen, right? Yeah. And like this, just you're right up there, and I know, yeah. But I don't know. Millions of Germans been doing it forever, and they're you know I don't know how Fair many point. have died, but you know yeah. But Germans are, Germans actually have traffic heading it, and oh gosh, train yeah. really hard to drive, and like here you have, you just have kids like this. Like driving down the street, just uh, but that so not after the the Berlin Wall came down and all the East Germans and their Trabants and Wartburgs and everything started going on the autobahn and right Frankfurt and stuff. Then it was, I I was over there when that was happening and there was grisly grisly accidents because because lane discipline was not a thing. I remember like probably one of the first times i went over with Fundreska, and we were we started in it was right after autostadt opened and then we had to get down to ingolstadt and for whatever reason we're like let's go east towards berlin and then south i, th- I think that seemed like the play but i remember like once we got past where this would have been 99 i think so um when did the wall come down early 90s 91 i think so um like I don't know when reunification it was shortly thereafter right reunification right. but like I remember being like in eastern what was then eastern Germany you'd still see like kind of like blown out like world war ii damage era houses that yep. were like I'm sure are long gone now but but those first few years were you know oh it was the dicey car scene, yeah the car scene was radically different it was trabants were everywhere and there were two strokes smoke and everything like that yeah it was it was really bizarre back then it was i can only imagine how it was for the country yeah itself, especially west germans you know, i know imagine how against it but i don't want to turn this into a political discussion but you see how like kind of ugly things have gotten the last few years whether pandemic or politics or anything else i'm sure i know from having been there those years the germans were certainly stressed about you know, reunification because you have so many resources going into the east yep. to try and prop it up and get it up to speed but yep. could could you could you imagine us trying to do something like that? Like at that level of we must, you know, in order for us all to succeed, we must put all this money here. And like <laughs> America would no, that, like whichever side had the money would be like, no, no, they can that's suffer. Where, <laughs> that's where secession becomes the word of the day, right? All over the place and will be will be a country a federation of several independent states. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> But you never know. As dumb as things have gotten over COVID and everything else, I could, I could see a red and blue. So you, you red people go there, you blue people go there, and you know, hopefully, don't have a war. You know, okay. So one of the other things I miss about those years, if you were over in, you say you went to Frankfurt '93, '92, '92. Yeah. I, I was there every two years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think '99 was my first, my first year. I don't know how that adds up if you were there. In okay, 92. yeah, no, I was ninety-one because the market okay. came out in ninety-two, and yes, yeah, so I was there for ninety-one. So yeah, it was okay. a lot of years. Yeah, but I Everything. what I miss about those years, and I wonder if it was like that in ninety-one, but like in ninety-nine, you know, you had the Frankfurt mess of whatever, you know, and yeah. and you had 
like Mercedes had built their own building and then there were the different show halls and whatever. And I remember like, it was just amazing how endless it was, whether it was like here, the, the second floor of like the, whatever hall Ferrari was in was like all OE suppliers. And the second floor of like the hall that Volkswagen group was in was all like opt and like all the aftermarket, like yeah. all the German aftermarket yeah. was there. Yeah. And it was such a magical thing, right? Because if whatever you're a fan of, they had, you know, whether it was like model car, like Herpa or mini champs or whatever vendors for that, like it was such a carnival of the automotive yeah, and like the week before was Auto Mechanica was in there too. Right. And it was yeah, so it was crazy. And then 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 right. Edison would would be oh yeah, like that Edison as well. Rad. Yeah, I I just miss that auto shows are on such a decline now. And of oh, course, that is sad. It used to be such a thing that you know, yeah, Chicago, you know, Detroit, brave that January weather. Now yeah. you know people and they did it. We had to. You had to go to them. You know, right we're in one building you know in, in detroit and you had to go there so <laughs> detroit in january was hardly but i still loved it like it was such a great time to be oh yeah yeah to be there and to be with like everybody in the industry i i the part of me wonders how that works right like it was such a a social time too for like remember uh, you did detroit several times i think right yeah like the the days after the show at like the chrysler bar at the, the where they had they would like take over that firehouse across the street the firehouse, and, like, yeah. Yep, everybody absolutely. who's anybody was there right and dr yeah. z is like slinging beers to people and like it was such a unique time i like i'm i'm very happy to have been part of it but at the same time it's just so like new york's coming up here in the next couple of weeks and i saw the we were debating whether or not to go audi's not there i i heard the id buzz might be but yeah i i looked at the like press conference list and it's like like three known manufacturers and everything else was kind of hit or miss or like startup yeah. electric that I've never heard of or whatever. So like, it's hard to watch because yeah. I get, I guess so, things are in Monterey and whatever now, but. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, you, it was the social, it was the after hour stuff and you could mention, you know, projects. I mean, things got rolling that way. Things that we, right. you know, for all we know, that's where the, you know, the Dodge Viper came from or the, you know, the Prowler, you know, based on just stuff like that, you know, just a couple drinks and like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, that, that you just don't do online and you don't, it doesn't work in email like that. It's yeah. The, the right. personal nature of it. I definitely miss that. It's so, it's so impersonal now. Yeah. I don't think people are having as much fun with cars as they used to. I really don't. That's too bad. In some ways, I think it's more, I think the aftermarket still does like SEMA to me reminds me much of SEMA when in those days, right? It's just, I mean, still as a wheel manufacturer, I got to ask you, i actually meant to ask you this earlier. Is it, how is it possible that there are this many God awful ugly wheels in the world? Like I walk through that wheel hall and I'm like, how I got so much very, of it is relevant to me. Very careful with my response. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm probably just going to just pass that one, but there, there's, you right. know, there's something, there's a wide spectrum of automotive tastes out there. Um, and each of them has disposable income, I'll just say that, right. you know, and, and, and prioritizes spending it on wheels. So yeah. I wonder the same thing, but I also know when we launched, when we launched, uh, like, I think the tarmac on Facebook and the people who would just, that that's absolutely disgusting i remember the subaru guys were the worst and now really? they they bought more max than any other demographic group 
you know, except, you know, maybe the Ford guys did, but right. it's like, how can you say a rally inspired five spoke wheel? It doesn't have to be your favorite, but how can right. you say it looks bad on any, on, a, on an STI? It just, I don't get it. And that's because they knew us as, oh, that's a Volkswagen wheel. It's like, oh, yes, yeah. we're famous for doing VDS. We did the snowflake. That's a Volkswagen wheel. But no, Tarmac is not a Volkswagen wheel, you know, and that was our way of, of getting out of just the, you know, the VAG, you know, scene. Running at the time to, because as much as I enjoy it, and that's still where I end up, you know, I'm still, I'm looking for Mark 1s as we speak and Mark 2s. All right. Not on Bring a Trailer, okay, but I'm looking for them. And, uh, it's you know for wheels you have to get outside that nobody makes enough money off the volkswagen and audi guys just selling wheels like that so you know or, or any single brand it's it's you got to be out there but yeah the, the wheel halls at sema and especially on the truck side of things oh my god it's it's overwhelming it's yeah literally overwhelming you go there there's just too many and they're all so similar or they're all just so bling yes. and you know and some of the upscale ones that you would see and they'd have They've, they've toned it down now but they would have like a full island you know like a like a 150 by 150 square island with just you know like ikea bookshelves with you know wheels in them and they're you know it's like jewelry you know it's like fine jewelry you know and i don't know i, I it makes me wonder because i know they they spend X number of dollars for every mold on one of those. And they've made right. a commitment to their manufacturer to purchase a certain minimum quantity. And I look at it and it's like, how are they really going to, do they make right. so much with, with 10% of them that the 90% that are just, just terrible or okay. I don't get it. That's kind of what I've wondered sometimes, like not all wheel manufacturers and wheel are like that. Right. But I would put for my own, design snobbery like i would probably put 80 70 to 80 percent of the wheels i see in the wheel hall are right. to me just not even remotely attractive right and and so that what i wonder when you walk into like the one with like the huge island with all the shelves and, and all the wheel designs like do you think they go there with like prototypes of like all right here's everything we have let's see what people ex express interest in and we'll fulfill orders on those and otherwise we'll just say yeah I hope so. They're doing that. I, you know, I, but these are, you know, they're in their catalogs. They're showing right. me, you know, so you can't, the timeline, even once you have a full, you know, you have, you've completed a mold and you have your first sample and your testing is complete. Even that period of time from then to making the wheels, having them shipped here and stuff like that is still, you know, often six months minimum, nine months to a year realistically. So that's I can't see that as being a really you know productive business model to do it that way just based on feedback. I think these are wheels that are you know they have I think they have stock. I think they have some inventory. Yeah. Well, I mean it's it's like anything else, right? It's everything's aesthetic and it's a subjective right. call. So what I think is attractive and what the next guy behind me and oh for sure thinks is yeah no and I see the you know the people there and the you know all the buyers are there and uh you know they're talking to them and they're looking at stuff and taking pictures and stuff and you know it's like uh it, it's definitely there's there's interest so and they do it every year so they, they stay in business i mean i've seen so many wheel companies come and go too you know yeah I mean, it's it's easy to start a wheel company these days especially when you're you know focusing on forged because you can design it on a napkin you can get the manufacturer's engineer to design it and you know productionize it and then you can get 
your buddy, you know, say, because you can do one set at a time and you can get your buddy to say, you know, I, I'll, I'll hook you up if you'll you know, pay for this first set of wheels. So it's possible to be a wheel guy manufacturer with zero money out of pocket. And it happens mm -hmm. all the time. And then they do a few and they sell a few sets and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm legit. And they start doing more models and some of them do really well. I mean, the ones who actually know how to run a business because it is a business. And right. uh, what you don't realize is even here in Southern California that, that hardly anybody does the wheel finishing in-house. It's outsourced, you know, powder coating and, you know, paint and plating and all that stuff. It's very, you know, it's, it's a dirty business. And, you know, I'd imagine that stuff in California, especially. Yeah. So there are places that are established and they, you know, they're, that's all they do is they do that stuff for, you know, wheel companies and things. So you use them, but it's always a different person and you never know what you're going to get. And when you send, or, you know, you tell a customer that, you know, they didn't come out great or something like that. They're like, oh, I want my money back or do it right. When you go back to these finishing places, you're not getting your money. So it's, you are eating stuff. You are shipping stuff sometimes that doesn't suit the customer's, you know, um, aesthetic or whatever. And then you're paying to ship it back. I mean, it's very easy. The margins on a set of wheels, on a $3,000 set of wheels is not nearly what you would think. I mean, cash right. wheels make way more as a margin, as a percentage. And all it takes is one mistake, um, and having to pay to ship them back and redo them. And now you're at a loss, you're at a net loss. So it's a tough business, the forged wheel game. So that's why the ones are successful, you know, working with the, uh, you know, the, the, the luxury cars and, you know, Ferrari and stuff like that, where they're pricing them in there, where their margins are pretty decent. So they can absorb, you know, a lot of the screw ups and things that invariably happen. Yeah. You know, quality control, if you can't, you know, you can't see and touch every product that you sell all the time. There's times where, you know, it just has to go out and, you know, you're playing the odds and it's, and it sucks when it doesn't go your way. Cause you know, you get a very disappointing customer and they spend a lot of money for, you know, a certain expectation and you can't deliver on it. That just sucks. That's just a bad feeling all the way around, regardless right. of the fact that now I'm at a, in a losing, you know, proposition financially. So um, it's a lot of stress deadlines events things like that you know jim jim kind of seven <laughs> we had yeah we were assembling wheels the the night after and the, and the and the turbo fans that we did for uh for jim kind of five um those matt and i were working on with uh with our our welder um who was doing them and he was uh you know our fabricator and then we took him over to our our graphics guys and then we didn't sleep that night and then we brought him over at like six in the morning to the warehouse where they were doing the filming and uh you know put him on the car the first time you know and it's funny because they were they were aluminum right and we had we had a whole bunch of safety things to, to do it but they're you know these aluminum rib discs on the inside there i mean they were fully functional and uh as you could tell like one of the uh friend of mine ron zaras who, who works for hoonigan and he worked with Ken on all the Gymkhana stuff. When we, when Ken was at SEMA in the, you know, the burn yard thing where he's doing, you know, uh, donuts and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Ron got this amazing photo of, you know, the Ken's uh, Fiesta, his WRC car was, you know, the wheels were cocked just a little bit, you know, it's four wheel drive. So all, wheel, all four wheels are spinning and it shows the smoke coming out in this perfect pattern that shows how the venting of the, 
you know, as it rotated, the tire smoke coming out of the wheel well. Um, and because that, that, a lot of people think that, you know, turbofans bring in cool air to the, that's not their function. The actual, the BMW, you know, the E34 M5, that was for that with the throwing stars and everything. That's, but in motorsport application, it's about reducing heat out of there. First of all, adding air into the wheel well is not, you know, a good thing aerodynamically. It's, it's right. drag and it's lift. You don't want yeah. that. Um, and I'm, I'm about to hit a really strong Audi note with this, which was part of why they were banned, why Audi used them on all four wheels and the rear wheels where they didn't have a lot of braking heat, you know, as an issue in the car because it sucked air out. It's almost, you know, like those Can-Am sucker cars back then. Right. It worked. It, it actually, it, it, it added down. Kept it planted. Yeah. And they used the hell out of it and it worked fantastic. But anyway, that's this photo showed the smoke coming out, tire smoke, and it was, it was just that's a beautiful cool. thing. But anyway, yeah, we, the, um, I forget who was producing the, um, or the director for, that was working with Brian on that Jim Connor film. He was like, he looked at them and he talked to Matt and me. He's like, these, are these potentially dangerous? Like, well, yes, they are. <laughs> they are. And so he got the crew and everybody together said, look, you know, I'm about to, you know, we've got, if you see something, say something. If you see this wobble a little bit. And in that video, Ken went through a, a shipping container, you know, which, basically you know had this much and then one of the takes he did he did destroy one of the fans on there because it just touched it a little bit and it shattered inside it's like shrapnel so uh yeah it was there was a lot of you know behind the scenes stuff that was really cool and and, and fun that uh you know almost almost didn't happen but um hmm. yeah it, it's it's a tough it's a tough business to be in especially when you know, now it's, you know, the numbers and everything like, you know, 1552 is arguably more successful, you know, without me and Matt, you know, from a bottom line thing, but, you know, we're not, we're not doing the, they're not doing the fun things because it's, right. you know, it's more professional than when, when we did it. And I think that's, that's, okay. that's the, what I wrestle with as I've, as I've become an old man in this space is that like, there are sort of two sort of motivations one is in this space right one is either for the art of it or the community mm -hmm. uh and and the other is for the profit right and and while there's a there's certainly plenty of shades of gray in between that um what i wrestle with is like when it gets to profit driven you you like you lose something right and right. like so art when you say arguably if you're moving a lot more wheels for SUVs, but that, but, and again, I'm not trying to beat up on SUVs. Uh, I'm still sitting here looking at that quantum synchro wagon Atlas uh, Photoshop, which I will send you. But, um, but, but I guess where I'm going with that is, is more when, is you, if just moving more product and generating more profit doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the hobby or that it, it builds uh, engagement uh, of the hobby and invests you know people car enthusiasts into the space right a, another set of wheels on whatever or, or oe wheels right. then you start moving big numbers too but like it, i don't I, I wrestled with that after we left vortex right like it's like it's i i know how they were going to make the investment they made in the sites right uh, back and and part of that is you know now you bring in oems and whatever that like it, it 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 for me at least and again it's kind of like ugly wheels it's about it's about perspective and it's a subject well, exactly. of and that's i want to be clear about i'm not 
at all you know disparaging anything that 1552 is doing right now right from me on a personal level what i found enjoyable and you know even too stubbornly at times when we you know we should have been doing same here yeah. you know more volume stuff to support well you know the Porsche model you know the the the, the Boxster and the Cayenne that that saved the 911 you would not right. have the 911 without those so you have to do these set you know and and I wish I could t tell you 1552 is about to come out with something that actually is very cool um very niche but it, it'll it'll sell and something I'm you know I'm really stoked about so uh you know they're still trying to do you know the enthusiast side of things while you know being a, a legit business and you know scaling right. so it's well, that's the that's the trick right what we had i go back to like vortex and when i after vortex i started chatting with um larry webster over at Haggerty and hmm. and 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 uh we're now working with audi club and in all of those cases there was an underlying business that was sort of like a patron of the art right so we had the forums at Vortex and that and and the income that came in from that allowed us the freedom to sort of do what we wanted, mm -hmm. playing with motive, whatever we wanted to do, as long as we didn't have profit expectations that I believe it really investors tend to bring to a situation. Yeah. Right? Investors tend to be more disconnected, just like whatever, just struggling to check. Right. And like when you have owners where they, they see the value of the space and you have a business that supports it in Addy Club's case, it's a it's a virtually it's a nonprofit, so it's virtually public right it's not publicly traded there's not a profit expectation but but there's a membership that supports the business and so like we can do the magazine even though a lot of magazines are going out of business it's one of the ways Haggerty does their magazine too right because they've got the insurance business they're not right. relying upon other things and and um boy that's the magic space like the magic sauce right now is not having to like turn profitability because when you do you're forced to scale up to a level that like in times gets lost thing. I don't want, you know, we got to a point, we got bigger than what I wanted it to be. Um, wasn't, you know, wasn't as fun on, in that context, you know, yeah. we, we walked a pretty fine line for a while where we made, made enough money and, uh, you know, and had fun. You just can't do that indefinitely. And when you bring on investors and, and opportunities come along that, you know, you feel like, you know, it's almost like a ch your child, you know, what your, right. your business, what you create. And when an opportunity comes along, you want to, you want to give it that opportunity. You want to go down that road. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you're happy you did it other times, not as much, but it's hard to, you know, you don't want regret just like in, reg you know, regular life as you get older, look back, yeah. you don't want to regret the chances and opportunities sure. you take yeah. the same way. So I, I'm happy uh -huh. to learn, you know, some things like, okay. And now, you know, as, as my future business endeavors, which are going to be less, you know, serious than, you know, running a wheel company, uh, as I get older and look at, you know, the rest of my life, what I want to do, uh, I do know, I learned some things that I only want it to be, you know, so big with so many people and, you know, right. fingers in the pie and all that. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all, you know, it's just experience and it's good stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, happy that you know I, I i love going over with you how you know 1552 started just in a you know in a in a parking lot with this you know crazy german guy driving an imported golf vr6 you know and it's like and where it's gone and all the different things have changed you know I'm, I'm very happy about that very proud of that all the different people that i've worked with that have you know facilitated that um and you know and still 
with these RML you know wheels that I'm going to do and still be working with 1552 it just seems natural you know yeah. and this is good for them because they are so sick of you know it just almost doesn't matter what they post somebody in the, in those comments and Instagram or Facebook when are you bring the snowflake back right. now they get to say well you know go to RML you know RML snowflake yeah. on Instagram or, you know rmlwheels.com and you will see you know if you really want them bug them about it. so yeah pretty cool and they get to say you know we are making them for them right you know, we're sharing the factory so it's cool and being able to still work with jason you know it, as my engineer because that's the other thing right now we're the first set of wheels we made the first run um we used the factory's brake data they said they had the brake data for the cars we told them the range and it wasn't what it needed to be it was they were challenging to fit on certain cars and uh guys had to use spacers and you know you're already dealing a 15 by 8 is not an you know, a necessarily easy bolt on for a Mark one to begin with. You add spacers to the mix and that's not what we wanted. So right. I'm going back to scratch and, you know, Jason and I are, you know, working on the engineering to the point where we're trying to have better brake clearance, but without losing the look of the wheel. Cause as you can imagine, you know, the, the, the snowflake design has a little bit of concavity to it. Yes. A lot of it's just, it's the curvature of the spokes that come out. It's some of it's an optical illusion. Um, but you know, if you want to, um, increase the offset, it's hard to do that while maintaining that look. And that's where I'm looking to do, uh, to do flow form with the new version flow form, you know, hmm. other companies call them rotary forge and stuff like that. It's, it's not, it's, it's a cast wheel center where the, um, the barrel is spun and it's spun to a point where it uh, arranges the granular structure of the aluminum in like a fort in a stronger pattern. Um, it's not haphazard. It's, you know, as you rotate it, it, you get to, you know, decide from an engineering perspective, how that is going to be strength wise versus thickness and all that. So it provides for a lighter, stronger barrel, you know, and we're talking the weight on the outside of the wheel, which is the most important. And uh, because you're, you know, they're using a, a tool to spin it, um, to shape it, you can vary the width within a certain amount. So, whereas the Mark One guys, you know, always wished, not all of them, but a lot of them said, I wish you'd made a 15 by seven instead of 15 by eight, then I could just bolt them on and go, no problems. Um, you know, we're theoretically going to be able to offer 15 by seven, maybe seven and a half and eight, all from one single mold. So that's really oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll move to the 16 inch. Uh, I do plan to do, I don't know if we'll get to, to 18 for sure. Um, we'll see how this goes. I do want to do the teardrop uh, because I have yeah. the engineering already done on that, you know, so I even, I don't know where the sample wheel is, but, um, you know, I think, I think that's a good, you know, something that will sell. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just really cool to be going back to that and still you know, dealing with the guys there and, are you going to stay primarily in the Volkswagen space? Are you looking to, to, um, no, I can, you know, RML has enough potential that I, you know, it just means, you know, retro modern line and right. it's just, you know, it's, it's basically the, you know, the singer mentality, reimagining, you know, older things to work in modern times and appeal to a modern sensibility. So that's, you know, that's could be anything. Um, but as far as wheels goes, yeah, I would, I could see, a lot of people already do it this isn't a brand new concept you know right. you can buy um you know a fox body mustang you know the the five spoke you know 16 inch wheels that came on the the lx you know you can get those in 17 and 18 
And that's right. exactly, that's the same concept and you can get them four or five lug. So people have been doing it, it's, but I think there is some untapped potential. I've got my, I've got my list, my whiteboard of all the different ones and I've researched that no one is catering to them doing that. Um, so, you know, that's definitely on my list and that's outside the VW Audi world, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, what, it's funny. What, what Audi wheel do you think would be outside of that snowflake? Is there another one, you know, the, the Ronals are, you know, that's so tempting. And that was something I wanted originally thought of like a 16 by eight you know from the so so that i think that's what i where i was going to go with that question or with the question i was about to ask you is you the trick is finding you know if somebody's done something or doing something three stm does a was does a 16 inch version of the ronal right right and it's pretty pretty accurate i have a set i haven't put them on the car yet uh, but it's funny too, is like, I, I've seen them on other cars now and I'm like, I don't even like, I'm starting to, the old man in me is starting to go back to like, I just want the original. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, um, but, but like, is so that the, they, three SDM does that or the, um, you know, Scotto just did the, the S the S one E two speed line, uh, with, with rotiform. Like, so you start to wonder like what other wheels are like obscure, but would be rad in like a like a more aggressive diameter, right? I think of like, well, both Mark One and Mark Two Scirocco, like the, I forget, I don't know what the name is, the Mark One, but we're like the Tarantulas that are on the yes. early Mark Twos. And it, the Tarantula is one that like, I think is like, would be such a badass wheel if it weren't so utterly tiny, right? Like it's, well, it's only ever- 13, they didn't even make yeah. a 14. So it's, uh, I don't think, I mean, somebody somewhere is going to point out that South Africa got a 14 or something, I don't know, but- right. I'm not aware of it. And uh, so even a 15 is a plus two, which is, you know, potentially problematic because, you know, it doesn't look the same way that, you know, you got to keep the proportions, but you have to grow it. You have to grow it proportionally. Right. So spokes don't just get longer, they get thicker as you're doing that. Right. So it, a plus two is a pretty aggressive, you know, Press but then range. again, we did, we went plus four with a snowflake in that 18, it, it, it worked great. Yeah. That's I think I, tarantula to me is one that I have always wondered what it would like. It's just photoshopping. <laughs> I'm curious yeah. what it would look like big, but like um, whether it's that or if, if I go to trying to think the Audi space, you know, what is cool and highly sought after now, but hard to find is the, um, the actually no. Yeah. Nobody's done that yet. No, I hadn't even thought of that. No, that, that would be interesting. The other thing that, that not for the Urquatros, but going further down the line, right, age-wise, getting younger than the Urquatro is the the Avis and the, yeah. um, in particular, you know, like the the fat Avis that was on the S6. Well, one of the popular mods that are very hard to find nowadays are like the the later 18-inch uh, Avis that was on like the the pre-facelift S8 that we didn't get, right? Like the first right. gen S8, the Ronin car, right? Um, those those car like there are a lot of people doing those on older particularly like s2s and s like or s6s yep. and it looks amazing but like getting them and getting the correct caps and everything else is it's They're all so obsolete heavy. at this point oh, yeah so, heavy. so yeah you do a flow form flow form you can do an 18 like that you bulky spoke design and you can still get it under 25 pounds which is you know for a strong you know cast road wheel that's yeah. not as opposed to them, you know, most of them are over 30 pounds from the factory. I was surprised. Rotiform did a, an Avis, like the S or the B6 Avis. It's concave, right. but it's yeah. it's very close to that. Yeah. And I've been surprised how many people are, like, it does really well. I've seen some RS6 owners and whatever putting it on. And 
I just think that first generation Avis that was kind of on the, it was on the, the Avis concept car. Yeah. Like that to me is so classic Audi and, and, you know, so, in a way that they, wow. they've done evolutions of Avis, but that yeah. gen was like the cool one. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. The other one that I've gone to old Volkswagen is my sister had an 89 Cabriolet that had that kind of, I think it was also a six spoke. It was very flat and it just had a flush flat, yeah. like lug cover. But it looked like like if you were a designer drawing a wheel, it was literally just like, mom, 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 you know, know, like like it was it was so simple and yep. it looked so good. But that's another one where like that in like a plus one or a plus two would probably look amazing. Oh, it looked great. You just wonder how, you know, and it's like I have to be careful, especially if I just do a million votes. So I mean, it's like you know, <laughs> then, yeah. then I'm competing against myself and I'm diluting, right. you know, the big time. You know, I have yeah. there's a static number of customers and they're not that pool isn't that huge. So for sure, you have to, to keep that in mind. And I would love to do all of them. And I'd right. like to be known for that. I'd love to have a website that shows them all like that. And you pick and choose. But it's like, I just can't see that working. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I, I've been amazed at the feedback just of making these snowflakes again. Um, you know, that that's going to be pretty pretty sweet to be able to say that you know i did that and they're out there and i didn't lose money on it hopefully and you know maybe it'll be even more compelling that people will and the cool thing about vw guys is it's like they're not just gonna ha always have one set like if i do two you know i've already told people told me you know i'll get a set of snowflakes and a set of teardrops yeah and run them you know at different times so i just love you know it's, i just love that community as you go you know i you know, I have a Porsche 911. I love it. I love the community and everything, but it's still, you know, my roots. It's like, you know, it's like Scotto. He can have anything he wants. His Swallowtail Mark One is like, he's, he's like a one of his favorite cars now. And yeah. I will have snowflakes on that soon. Don't you worry. Um, but it's, that's the thing. And that's, that's Vortex, the, 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 the effect of Vortex on, so many people in the industry it's like because when we started working with ken and ken block and his team you know you had all these guys you know matt DeSillo, who was his um you know he he was his uh team business manager a lot of the guys on the team his co-driver alex and everything they're all vw vortex kids we were all on vortex it was all oh, which you know and even ken you know it's like was he really we're dealing with Fords we're dealing with all this stuff but we all come from that background where it's all we all had you know mark one mark twos mark threes you know and it's like right. what was your screen name on vortex you know and it's like well which time you know after I got banned several times I had several you know we were all jackasses back then because we were kids but it was just it's funny how Volkswagen of all brands in this country had that you know that effect, that huge community aspect that is still around. I mean, I don't know how active it is. I'm, I go in the car lounge all the time. I don't go in the other forums because I have a lot of friends who are still in the car lounge and stuff. And I still get yeah. a lot of my automotive news in there. Do you really? Um, yeah, just, well, detailed stuff, not first, you know, first glance stuff like we used to get. Um, right. But I will have, um, I will definitely have times where I go in there just to, you know, just to goof around when I have some extra time and everything, but it's like just the, the, what Vortex was is still, you know, it still comes up. It's still relevant. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard for me, right? For me, Vortex is like, is, uh, it's a little bit like your ex-girlfriend, right? Your hope she does well, but like 
you don't want to see her with another dude. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, I just don't go back. It, and it's, it's, uh, I miss it though. I was, I'm trying, I think I was listening to like, it was, I listening to Farah's podcast recently and like, and you know, I heard somebody mention the car lounge and was like, man, I just, I miss that. I think it was Spinelli. And it was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It, that, there was that period where like if something went on the car lounge, like it was on Jalopnik as a story yep. within, right? Like it was such an influential place. And, and uh, I miss that kind of, I think what I miss more is just the intimacy of the internet back then. It was such a smaller place and we all kind of knew each other. Oh yeah. And the drama, the Jack Baruth stuff and everything. Yeah. And I'm sure he's listening. I know Jack listens to all this stuff. So, so, okay. so you know what I've, I've gotten in that Jack and I had a, uh, cause he obviously had whatever rivalry with us as, as, as a uh, staff back then. And I got to know him since uh, I met him a couple of times We you know, we had, obviously it was an, an odd relation. My, his beef wasn't with me. Right. Or our beef wasn't, our beef wasn't my beef. You know what I mean? It was always just like a, a so he and I have gotten to know each other better through actually some of the Haggerty folks after, after Vortex and and uh I find he's you know it's funny how people are like a certain personality online. Oh god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you meet them in real life and you're like, you're a good dude. <laughs> yeah, I met him at Detroit and we talked back and forth. And I was at one point I was supposed to do some wheels for him, I think. Um I don't think it actually turned out, but yeah, no, that that was just uh that was funny. Um it, it, but there was always some kind of drama going in there, and right. it was great. Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't help but just get in and you know, hope that the thread would get, you know, at least get locked. before, before <laughs> yeah. David locked it. Yeah. <laughs> or Anthony. Or Anthony. Like, yes. It's like, shit, this is just getting good, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was often about a, a vendor, you know, or somebody I didn't like, and, you know, I had beef with that nobody knew about. And it's like, so you know, what's funny, like, again, not to turn this political, but the last couple of years, let's say maybe the last four or five, and, and, and it was like, I, I go back to, I think you were there when we had this argument of like, should we do this political forum, right? And I was like, we need to do it. It's going to be paid views. It'll be great, you know, yep. income, whatever. And and uh, we turn it on and it was like, we had all these people who liked each other. And now that like they were talking politics, the, the, like the, the, it just started to get so toxic. Like everybody was just so like That's sick of each other. So I don't do and then Facebook. We, That's we why. turned it off. Do yeah. you remember though? Like when we turned off the political forum and it went away, it was almost like, I don't want to say it overnight, but it was remarkable how quickly like everything went back to like cohesive yeah. and like as much as people got along on board. Right. <laughs> right. But like it was more like we're all just carnards together again. You don't have yeah. like the tinge of like, well, you're this or you're that or. Oh, yeah. You know. Yep. No, that's that's why I don't do Facebook. I I do my company stuff on there and all that. and But I can't because I, I don't. I don't want to know what your politics are. It just doesn't. Yeah. It, there, there's no nothing good that's going to come from that well, you know? the, the the best lesson i ever got in politics too or where we are today politically was like uh he's gonna hate me if he's listening to this because he, he always regretted telling me this but like keith lucas remember keith from apr mm -hmm. so, so like i was down there shooting cars with him one day we're out just like on a shoot with some i don't know what we had with us it was i remember it was yellow that's all i remember but we were shooting a car and and i was talking to him i was like man apr stuff is you know it's so good like don't be jerks in our forums. Like at the time he would come in and like troll just a little bit and he'd oh get like God, the, yes. the fans of like GIAC or, or, or Unitronic or whomever. And it would be a pile on. And I was like, I was like, dude, I just don't understand your stuff's that good. It speaks for itself. Like, 
you know, like Teddy Roosevelt walk softly, carry a big stick. Right. Like, and, and he was like, don't you understand? Like I get paid to make the phones ring when I go in and troll, right. The phones ring. That's why. And like, that's always been like, that's, that's Fox news. That's MSNBC. Yep. That's Donald oh, yeah. Trump. That's they know that if they go in and needle, like, like people will vote, people will watch, yep. they will tune in. And like, that that was such an eye-opening conversation for me that day. Like I look at like everything political or everything media nowadays in the same vein, which is just like it's all about just trying to juice up and you know that's, it's that's right. Bo- that's why it's you, both brilliant and depressing at the same time. Oh, it time. is. That's why it's yeah. not well, yeah, we don't have to go into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, but all right. So I thought of an analogy when we we're talking earlier. I'm gonna jump back to one other thing. We're talking about profitability, right? Yep. And earlier in the conversation, this is a hell of a callback, going back to Tesla and how fast things have gotten. Right. And I think that's where, like, I think that whether it's politics, whether it's media, whether it's Tesla or electrics, like, or business, there's this happy medium of you get to a certain capability and then focus on the quality because, like, you don't, like, I think there's always that challenge to want more, want more profits want more anything want more like better zero to 60 times right yeah i get into a like i've i haven't driven a tesla plaid right but i've driven an e-tron rs gt rs e-tron gt and like doing launch on that car it makes me nauseous right like i'm i'm kind of like i don't i don't need something this i would do it once or twice as like the parlor trick and then you know just drive it otherwise not nearly that fast and and so like I, I go back to like like when you have performance cars at that level or you look at like McLaren's even like for internal combustion, it's just it's I don't want to say too much because that's the old man of me speaking, but like you just don't you don't need it. And so like I, I have so much more fun in my normally aspirated 964, right? Like in, that's all the all the pace I need. It's it's it, it's well, it's, it's absolutely true with uh, with the grip levels of modern cars, especially modern performance cars and, and getting away from hydraulic steering. I mean, you know, Porsche does some fantastic electric steering, but that it's not real. It's not feel you're, you're, you're still, it, there's a disconnect between what the front tires are doing and it, it becomes more, you know, video game-ish with that grip. And it's just, even the sounds are kind of, made, you know, they're pumped in and artificial right. and stuff. It's just not the same. And yeah, it's that old man thing, but it's, it's, you know, it's simple. It's like, you know, I guess you could say, you know, the people who love the, you know, old vinyl records and the softness of that and the analog amplifiers, tubes versus, you know, it's, um, there's the functional practical aspect of it though, that goes beyond this esoteric bullshit. The limits are so high on modern cars that you can't, really not even exploit but joy enjoy them without being a total douche out there i mean it's really yeah. hard and it's fun and and yeah we're lucky we grew up with cars that had you know my, my mom's daily driver was uh inca orange 2002 tii that was you know and i learned to drive on that car you know with its little michelin xas little you know 155 or 165 tires that car was supremely capable, but it had no grip, you know, and, and it was meant to slide and go around there. And that's so 30, 40 miles an hour could be fun. My 911's like that, but, you know, a Honda Odyssey minivan could stomp that thing from a stoplight. Right. But it's like, I feel every little pebble through the steering wheel and I don't have to be 
you know, a jackass out on the roads to have fun. And that, that, I think that's, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm right about everything. I'm certainly not, but I think I'm right about this. And I think it's hard to have a different perspective than that. If, if you stay in the context of what we're talking about. Yeah. I, well, for me, it's like, there's just a certain level. It, it may be dependent upon where you live too, right? Like when I was in, did the RS the first RS7 launch in Vegas, it's like, wow, this power is really amazing. and can bring that, that, that uh, horizon to me in this kind of otherworldly way. Right. But at the end of the day, like I had an R8 4.2 for a while. You have to break the law to do it, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm certainly not preaching about that. I'm yeah. just saying that's, that's the context where there's certain, there's certain situations and environments where you can't do it or you shouldn't do it. It's not prudent or, right. you know, for so many reasons, but you know, it's still nice to be able to, to have fun and enjoy what you're driving and not feel like you're, you know, almost being mean to the car by, you know, just driving it legally that that's the kind of thing where they've got that you talk about mclarens and supercars and stuff like that yeah I, you know anybody who has the money to, to buy one of those is going to be able to find an environment where they can have fun you know well yeah and on a track hpd or something like that certainly yeah. I, yeah. I found with the r8 4.2 like it was kind of at the edge of like around here where i live in a, you know Penn, central pennsylvania fairly populated but not urban right. and like and it was rare that I got to use it to its potential. Now I didn't feel like insane with that car on the road, but now when you start talking about McLarens and whatever else, it's almost like, my God, you know, this is, <laughs> this is so much it's unnecessary. And while it's an amazing piece of engineering and, uh, and I'm, I find it fantastic. I just don't like, I, I feel like they're like in so many things, there's, there's a certain amount you can do. And, and if you find that happy medium, right. Enjoy it because it's an amazing thing that yeah. equilibrium because that's even harder than you know once you have the money being able to buy mclaren that's easy yeah. you know that's yeah. not a challenge so but right. ha having fun and you know within the, the the scope of you know regular driving that's that's not as easy to do it's just yeah. funny that so many of those cars that really used to be so easy to find and and answer those questions are now going for ridiculous money and to the point where now you don't once you get it you feel like I sh it's an investment now i shouldn't even drive it do you i i i'm wandering a little bit off audi in this conversation but do you feel that way about your porsche no 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 I, I got it it intentionally it's got fiberglass front and rear bumpers you know fiberglass deck lid uh it scrapes it's there's just something about a 911 and i traded an e30 m3 straight up for it this was owned by uh, Mark Arsenal of, you know, Illis and Fat Lace. We were just chatting in one day and we each, you know, were saying, man, I dig that car. I've never had an air-cooled Porsche, a 911. And he's like, oh, I've never had an E30 M3. And at the time, they were of, you know, similar value. So it's like, right. it's, it's just trade. I, you know, it seems right. So luckily, I mean, he, he built the car, he, you know, he did some nice things. He did some, you know, elephant suspension components and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was clean. He had it resprayed, which I wish he hadn't because it had this really amazing patina and stuff. It was kiln red, which is like an orangey red and um, pretty rare color. But he had it resprayed and it's not even the original color, which to me, and it's not a perfect paint job. It's great. It's a right. glass out. I mean, you can, yeah. you can find some flaws in it. And that's great to me because I don't care about dings or scratches or anything on this car. And it's, and it's one of those few collector cars that, you know, I've bastardized it with, you know, body parts and wheels and stuff and low, it's low and exhaust. 
and different interior. And it's arguably worth more than a stock SC. It's awesome. Right. Hot rod 911s are especially that's, G bodies. It's that's yeah. the car you I am not it has 150,000 miles on it. You know, I've put 25 30,000 on it. I mean, I drive it and it's it it hasn't lost anything. It wouldn't be worth any well, more with 50,000 fewer miles. It wouldn't be worth a penny more. So so I'm not where I'm going. So my 964 is very similar, right? 150,000 miles. Actually, I'm, I'm 160 and glass out respray, not color change. And it looks pretty stock, but it's it's built and and it's a driver. And I guess where I'm like, I, I don't it's not an investment for me. And it is right. Like I'm not I don't plan on reselling it. My one kid has already claimed it and she'll get it. So it'll it'll go to her when I'm dead <laughs> or like when I'm too old to drive it. But like at the end of the day, it's it's get like every time I will like call into Haggerty and be like, all right, how much is it worth? Do we have to adjust it? Right. So it's yeah, properly I just, insured. I just, I just called them too. I, I was I let it's it go. Not, man. I, I waste I waited a year and a half and the, the the amount I had to up, it's just ridiculous. Well, that's, that's, I mean, it didn't really change the policies to price so much for me, but like it at the same time, oh, I mean, I think, the value of it. That yeah. I think about that. Imagine every, if it was stolen a week earlier. It's like, <laughs> totally. God, like such a dumbass, you know? Yeah. But it's crazy where I thought they were done going into the pandemic. I thought we'd hit the, the top of the bell, right? Like I they, thought, they like, had, okay. They actually dropped a bit. Nine, six, four yeah. NG bodies had actually dropped a little bit, you know, by and then those, five, six thousand. Those two bring a trailer cars, two black ones. And I don't know if people playing games, but like they were both Carrera twos. One had like 135,000 miles on it and it went for six figures. And I was like, what's <laughs> like, it's literally my car spec only, yeah. you know, 30,000 less miles and original paint. Like, I don't, I don't get I, like one, I don't mind it going there. Right. But like, there's part of me, it's like, I, the question is, is there a certain point, and I don't really know that I've figured this one out yet, where I like feel questionable driving it or parking at places because I don't want to lose it, right? Like I'd, I'd like having it, and I don't know that I'd go out and buy another one if, unless- Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, even though it's insured for it, like I could, I mean, I have it insured for replacement right. value, even though there isn't one. There isn't a car out there that I could buy that's like mine. Mine is, you know, it's right. a hot rod, I'd personalize it. I'd have to start over somewhere, which in some ways would be fun to do right. but i probably wouldn't get another one I, i'd like this one and i want to keep this one if it got so yeah but it doesn't for me it doesn't change anything I, I drive it everywhere i park it everywhere i you know sometimes don't you know the, the windows are down a bit i mean it just doesn't i don't treat it like that like an investment i know it is but that's why i got it because you know the m3 has done better mark Mark sold it. He didn't keep it very long. You know, he doesn't keep cars very long. But if he had kept it and we watched the valuations go, he would have be he'd be above me by, you know, at least five figures um, because that's the E30 market, the M3. But uh, as far as driving, again, that was just a that was an S14 car just lowered and had tarmacs on it and it looked great. But man, there was just nothing really that special getting in and driving one of those to the to the store to get dinner or something like that getting in a 911 that's a different you know that's all totally different thing just the sound and the feel of it is just better and then the roads we have out here man which one would you rather have on the angeles crest national forest highway i mean there's no question there's no question that 911 is faster and way more fun so but yeah it's basically i was referring to like even like you know 
GTIs and, uh, you know, the older GTIs are, uh, you know, Corolla GTS, you know, um, AE86 back in the, you know, those were nothing. A Nissan 240, you know, th those cars were, you know, cars you go out and thrash and have fun driving, you know, right. fast, fast, slow or slow, fast. And uh, now those things go a good one, one that you would consider buying. You know, that's almost too much for that. You, you wouldn't, you almost wouldn't want to go out and thrash it. I find if you're not opposed to building a car, and I know you're not, I find the sweet spot, if I were going to buy something old and German that way, is to maybe call up Jamie Orr or somebody like that and get something out of Europe. Because there seem to be, I've noticed these cars in Europe that are like, if they're lower spec, well, maybe, typically lower spec, but not always, but like very, very clean low mileage examples, because <clears throat> over there, gas was expensive. People are using public transportation much more commonly. And so you had these people who would like preserve these things. And, and, and you have TOOF or you have MOT in the UK right. where you can't have a pile. You can't register a piece right. of crap for very long over there. Yeah. That's, it's funny where like I've been watching, whether it's like Mark 1s, Mark 2s, Mark 3s and the Audi side, like, like to find a front wheel drive, like obviously the, all the quad, anything Quattro has gone insane, including for, like an 80 Quattro over there. I know. But like, but like a front wheel drive, two door, you know, like nothing motor 4,000 to get and put something in, you know, yeah, like yeah, some, yeah, some cool motor. Yep. Yeah. And it's like quite cheap and very well preserved. Like everything's original inside and not cracked. And, and you'll get your money back too. It's, yeah. it's, a, that's a, a good plan. It's something that is, it's truly viable. And you, that's why it makes sense to start with one. It's like, if you were going to do your, you know, your singerized, you know, for a quattro, you, you're not going to start with an inner quattro. You're going to start with, you know, quattro and yeah. you know do all that stuff um just like uh you know an e30 m3 that kind of build you know why would you start with an actual m3 you know you can you right. can build a, an e30 chassis to go light years beyond what bmw motorsport did with the back in the 80s you know so right. that and that's fun you know to create something that's way more fun not everybody has the you know the means or even the, the vision to do something like that. But I think that's that's a great way to do a project because you've got something different. It catches eyes. It goes great at cars and coffee, you know, because people haven't seen that version of it or it's old enough, especially though, you know, the, the Audi 4000 or the, the 80s and 90s, those are really growing on me, man. The, the sedans, 80 and 90, I'd love to build a, a badass one of those. They're just so hard to find. And now Which, they're- uh, B2 or B3? What's that? <laughs> so before like what scott yeah. was getting yes yeah like yeah, it, i love you, the before stuff i do yeah. and i never did back because they weren't great driver cars at all you know there was all being an e30 was always a better driver car or even a you know a, a volkswagen a gti a golf or something to me was well the that era the b4 audis before the 1et hit like everything was kind of heavy and mo unless it was an s2 and even the s2 it, it, at that point, that motor had kind of done its job in the Urquattro, which is lighter. You know, you get to the to the B3s and B4s, and it's like it's it's just kind of heavy and like a little soft, and you know, it just wasn't what the B2s had been. But it, it was a handsome design. So like right. nowadays, low cost. You know, you throw it. Speaking of like an 07 K, you know, like that's, potential. Get a, get a low spec Quattro B4 and throw an 07 K in that, and you have a you know, a faux S2 or RS2 that's like, yeah, amazing. That's, that's what I'd love. And I, I love the, uh, the Avance, such a great looking car. Yeah. 
it's just funny though because yeah they, they never really appealed to me you know but the the opt you know the opt box flare version for that was always like oh my god because we go to kempton and they had one in their showroom and it's like this is perfect this looks so good that's like to right. me one of the best body kits ever made so you know scotto's uh, the prior design one you know plays off that a little bit that to me is a little extreme for me you know as a car you know that i would actually drive around a lot but uh it looks looks badass but I'd like to get one of those opt ones. And I guess somebody didn't Jamie just find one for Jason Whipple from Rotor. Yeah, for Whipple got one. It figures yeah. bastard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's right. I do remember seeing that. It's like, yeah, that that's that's cool. It's an that's a nice one too, because from what at least from what Jason was telling me, it was like there aren't a lot of S2 versions of that car. Apparently, like the correct correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe I heard him wrong. That like some of the boxfire ones that got built were just like the the normally aspirated five cylinder right um and so like th that somebody took an s2 and built one was pretty rare and then that's one of the ones he got so um it looks pretty neat i know he trolled brian with it um yeah which was kind of funny too but but um totally cool car i'm curious to see if he does much with it or you know just kind of preserves it right yeah but, i i don't because opt had uh you know they had the the cup kit for the mark three the flare kit and everything and that was around the same time and the manufacturer of that because we sold a few and we brought and then we couldn't buy them anymore because the factory burned down and oh. i think it's the same one with the with the with the uh, audi with the coupe so uh, i wouldn't be surprised if there were you know fewer than or yeah fewer than like 50 ever made kind of thing because they didn't make them long and then they didn't make them again right and probably prohibitively expensive for an already expensive car. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm sure there's some floating around. I mean, VW Sport. Remember the actual VW Sport, the you know the catalogs that they had. Yeah, yeah. They had a uh, they had a Fox VW Fox wagon. That BBS body kit. Oh. No, it's a, it wasn't BBS for that. It wasn't was it? a Rally Golf. It's the box flare kit for that. I still have that catalog. And so I, a, so do I. It's a silver Everything. box and it has yep. box flares. It's almost exactly like a rally. And it's just like somebody put, made it work on a rally, you know, a rally golf on there. And they were so selling them. And there was always this, I think it was in Pennsylvania, this story in all the Fox forums. And I'm sure Jamie Orr knows this. Um, some guy who had one of those kits in his basement and would never sell it. I wonder if that I ever wanted that so bad. That, but yeah, yeah the I screaming had... yellow zonker was in, on that catalog too. And that yep. had the BS kit, yeah. So that most of those car, I think every other car in, I assumed it was BBS because every other car in that, in that catalog had BBS body kits on it. Right. right. So like, so the, the, BBS I mean, was a South, the Fox is a South American car. I can't imagine BBS would have anything to do with a South American VW specifically for a body kit, but you could be right. I just, I had never yeah. heard of it being manufactured by them. I'm sure. I'm sure Jamie, I'll have to ask Jamie or sometime because he's yeah. such a Fox nerd, but yeah. like, part of me but then i go back to like audi fox right which that car is an evolution of anyway right so like sort so of. yeah so in some way yeah the front end and all that but yeah it's evolution of b1 isn't it it's longitudinal motor i assumed it was because Volkswagen has this history of like moving like like production you know basically production tooling to other markets to keep things going right so right. but vw south america they went their own way they started 
some of the things may have been shared, you know, like the suspension and the launch, but the, you know, the Gaul was originally air-cooled. It used a beetle motor in the front. Did it? So, yeah. And uh, just a, a solid, you know, twist beam in the back. So I don't know where, I don't think there's a lot of Passat, just there's, it's parts bin stuff for sure. But it's, you know, when you think of traditionally sharing chassis, I don't think so. I think the firewall is completely different and, and the, uh, and the rear part of the car completely. Some of that size wise. Yeah. It's like Mark one rabbit. Yeah. Well, the size wise to me, it looks like a B1, like a, uh, you know, for Dasher would have only been a five door or would only been a hatchback in the U S but like the, but like a B180. It's like a 93 inch, it's like a 93 inch wheelbase though. So it's a lot shorter. So it just has like, you know, major overhangs and stuff. I had, I had a Fox wagon that I had done everything in the world I could do to, as far as bolt-ons and took the AC out. I took the front bumper just to get rid of some, you know, the metal supports just to get rid of some of the uh, understeer in it. I had compromotives on it and I fab my own suspension, you know, lowering kit for it because there wasn't anything right for it. And, uh, you know, Aaron Newman from new speed helped me with a couple of the, you know, engine parts and stuff. And, uh, that was that was so much fun. Uh, Scirocco, uh 16 valve seats in it because they had the same, you know, they oh, cool. the same uh, pat, you know, pattern. Took a gate, you know, a gauge from the five speed one so I could get a tack. You know, all these little cool things that only Fox nerds knew, but it just made that car so much more fun. Oh, and, I, and towards the end, I put a uh, I put a dual round headlight. I fabbed a dual round headlight from a Mark One Cabrio to bolt in there, cleaned That's it all cool. up welded it up so yeah i miss that car but a two-door wagon because my first car ever was a, a 67 volkswagen square bike wasn't so two-door volkswagen wagons really uh have an appeal to me right right yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool well dude we've we've gone for a while i really yeah, appreciate i know you. my battery and my laptop's about to go in my i'm, I'm surprised my my airpods aren't like beeping at me i had yeah, actually like pretty good two hours like that's pretty good all right man. well thank that's you so good, much man. for your time cool all right, man. All right, man. Thanks Be well. again. Appreciate Thanks. it. Yep. Bye.